You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey. Oh, hey, Jeff. What's going on, guys? Oh, you know, talking about Superman. Oh, cool. I could talk about Superman. I could talk some more about Superman. We know. I'll bet a few people would want to get in on this. I'm down. You know it. That sounds like fun. I'll do it. Cool. Let's do it. We can call the show Men of Steel. And you can find it at certainpov.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. Welcome, everybody, to We Have Issues, Geek Elite Media Show that's about everything literary, books, comic books, webcomics, manga, and everything else you might be reading. We are here to talk about it. I'm your host, Keith, and I'm joined by my Star Wars sidekick, who is always at my side, Ho Sway. Hey, and such so a fell asleep, so I'm drinking the rest of a Yerba. Intercepted. <laughs> uh, hell yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, you guys know we're here to talk about comic books. Um, what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to get straight into a little bit of news. Not much that we really need to go over too much. Uh, I will say that there's a lot of speculation going on about the Marvel or the X-Books, which we're big fans of, the X-Books. Um, one thing we did get confirmed is that Hellions has been canceled. Oh, my God. Or, no, or, no, no, pardon me. Yeah. It's, the Hellions has come to an end. Right. Uh, it was planned to go 18... 18- issues it was planned to be handled that way a solid three volumes yes so it was not canceled it was just planned to go that way just like hawkeye freefall when everybody gave jed mckay crap and he's like this is what was (laughs) planned this was a mini you know so we have other rumors coming around i don't like to really address rumors too much yeah one that was kind of heavily hinted at earlier today was marauders as well uh, by and, one of the creators so. and that, and that's one that's one of the books that we were kind of specking on if it was or they just had this tone that uh so that damn it no yeah it went longer than i thought it would because yeah mm-hmm. when when the big shift happened i thought the, oh it's over that that storm dinner scene uh, yeah, after that like the end from yeah. then from then on yeah but damn it, I'm, I'm sad to see Hellions go. Like I, I always joked around, but I, I literally meant it. It was literally my favorite soap opera for, since it, since it started because it was just that damn good. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm making fun yeah. of it as a joke, but I literally mean it. It was that just, it was that fun to just goof around with these people. But then you had the, this asshole sinister overlooking this whole thing, and oh my god, I just. I just want him to just lose one time more than like what he kind of already does, <laughs> but a bigger loss. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so other news, uh, DC has announced four new issues mm. or four new f- issues four new series. <laughs> I'm reading into our branding too much. Uh, so uh, first of all, we are getting Batgirls Ooh, as an nice. ongoing series. So they've been teasing that for a while by having Stephanie and uh, Cassandra hang out all the time. Okay. So people have been kind of thinking that's what's going to happen. There's also going to be a new six-issue mini called World of Krypton. Okay. And another one called One Star Squadron. Hmm. Uh, I don't know much about One Star Squadron. I'm scrolling down right now to see if I get a hint. Uh, I hope, 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 hope it's going to be, yeah, it's a comedy book, it looks like. 
Yes. So yeah, good. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna be a funny book, like kind of in the way of JLI, basically. So, um, and then the other book they announced is a new Swamp Thing Black Label book written by Jeff Lemire. Oh, is excuse that me, the, what? Is that the most passionate phrase you've ever heard in your life? Fuck. Swamp Thing Black Label Jeff Lemire. Yeah. Okay, that sounds awesome. That's gonna be fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, it's called Green Hell. So I guess it's a misfit song too. That's cool, and <laughs> and the artist is the guy who did Final Crisis, Doug Mankey. So, ooh, okay, yep. So that's cool. It looks like it's the original uh, Swamp Thing, not the new guy. So okay, we're we're going back to Holland, Alec Holland. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. It looks like so. So yeah, that's really cool. DC, you know, announcing some new stuff. I'm particularly excited about Bad Girls. I mean, that's going to be really cool. And I've actually only heard nothing but good things from the the Webtoons Bat Family comic. It's incredible. Read it now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, it's so funny. It's so cute. It's the Bat Family. It's it. So many people I keep seeing. This is what I've always wanted from DC. Why haven't I gotten this before? Okay. So and Jason Todd is me. I know our friend Mars put. Uh, have a good yes. day, to Jason Todd, on this and only him. Basically, <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> and. Damien actually has dark skin because he's half Persian. So that's, that's what cool. that's what gets me so pumped up to reading it. Yeah, that's really, really dope. So um <laughs> so um the next thing is there's been a tease for an upcoming issue of X-Men introducing a character named Captain Krakoa. Oh shit. Who in Cyclops does not want him on the X-Men. <laughs> is, is the hick is the thing. <laughs> And it's it's very much a Captain America looking kind of thing. So it's like getting their own version of Captain America. Holy Who shit. is it going to be? Is it an existing person we know? We don't know. That'll be fun. Um, it's more of a tease you know, at this point. You so. know, at this point, I will. I I guess I was wrong. I will take strong strong man for for Captain Krakow. <laughs> strong guy. Strong guy. Yeah. Guido. Guido's the best. Love Guido. Um. So we also got a big announcement. That makes me very happy. Um, we got an announcement of a new Spider-Man book centered oh. around Ben Riley, and it's going to be written by legendary writer of Spider-Man, J.M. DeMatteis, which is so cool. He's the one that did Craven's Last Hunt. For those who don't know, yeah. And the art, even more exciting than him, the art is our boy David Baldion. Recovering from X Factor with a new thing. I've already seen some preview pages. I'm very excited for this. This book. be cool. It's be so good. Um, it's built in the same vein as the Peter David and Greg Land symbiote Spider-Man series. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what they're kind of like saying, uh, like comparing it to. So, uh, but that's really cool. I'm glad to see David staying in Marvel. Um, he's just a great artist. I'm actually going to talk about David later because he did one of the books I read. Nice. So. And the other thing I want to bring up, I thought was really funny, is Ryan Otley, artist of Invincible and so many other things, has done a variant cover for, of all things, My Hero Academia. Oh, no shit. Yeah, for the volume 31. Uh, That's cool. And I'm trying to pull it up, see if I can get it for you. So... (gasps) That looks so cool. Now, this is a French cover, so I ah. hope we get the American version of this, too. 
but uh yeah that's really cool like just like a fun little fact you know so a, a cool crossover from like comics and what it's actually trying to what the whole book was about exactly yeah so yeah really cool um but that's everything i got as far as news i don't think anything else popped up except for i can't remember if we talked about no we wouldn't have um about our boy rich duick getting his first marvel work uh yeah congrats buddy (laughs) yeah that's really super cool dude i'm excited to see what happens there i've never been a big like wastelanders like fan it's never been a thing i really attached to Mm -hmm. but i think it's just because i missed it okay the beginning of it and i never want to go back you know what i mean like oh yeah i know i I knew after like the ed bryson run i needed my break from like the wasteland as well and this is like a great time to come back yeah so it's really cool I'm, i'm very excited for him to get that big, you know, opportunity, and yeah, I'm excited to see what he does. So, mm-hmm. yeah, any other news you can think of? Um, just if you want to give your not uh, non spoiler review of the first three episodes of Why the Last Man. Uh, okay, it's 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 not a perfect adaptation, right? In that, if you liked the book, it's not going to be shot for shot. And honestly, but, it, it it shouldn't have have been anyways. But I think every change is fully justified. Yeah, like that. Um, I think going into this, okay, if you're a fan of the books, mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing with uh, at the beginning with York's mother in the White House and the conflict between her and the political opposition, the power vacuum and everything like that, I'm pretty sure the whole first season is going to be about that. Okay. So there's a lot more characters about the political part of it mm-hmm. just to set up that conflict. Um, Amber Tamlin is amazing. Okay. She plays a she plays the daughter of the president, and she's got a like like a Laura Bush plus Ivanka Trump thing going on, where she she you know because the the president's a Republican, and she's she's a mom of three boys, and her whole thing is is. Boys are afraid to be masculine now that society tells them they can't be masculine. And, oh, their lives are ruined by one little silly mistake. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, implying that, like, rape and stuff like that. Those silly mistakes, you know, bitch. So she's absolutely unlikable. It's just, yeah. Um, the best thing about it is the four leads are basically perfect. So, and okay. so, and that is York. His mother, his sister. Hero, and, yes. And 355. Uh, 355 is amazing. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> she's, always, she's always a badass. Me and Liz were blown away by this actress. Uh, and I can't yes. see much she's done. Uh, so if there's a standout, it's her. Cool, cool. Um, York is really good. He's a little pretty for my taste. <laughs> I wanted to be more of an average guy, but I mean, it's TV. Um, Diane Lane, as York's mother, is she still... Just I, Liz, I think Liz brought it up. She said she's just like so classy looking, like at all times. Like she's just so beautiful. And then uh, Hero, the actress, is actually the one from, that played the best friend in Juno. Oh no, I love her. Yeah, yeah. She, she's awesome. And so I was telling, I was telling Liz, I'm like, look at her range. She was the best friend in Juno. She was in Dread, and then she's in this. I'm like, it's so. Did you ever see the the, the Josh the Josh Peck movie in the '90s? I forget what it was called. I like, can guarantee I did not. <laughs> whackness or unwackness. Or something. It was kind of like his first indie movie. It wasn't really like what you know of Josh Peck. And she's in it. And I've actually really liked her in that movie. 
There is one, if anyone's seen the first issue, you know what I'm talking about. Or first episode, you know what I'm talking about. They make one minor change to Hero. Ooh, okay. In her story that I think made her character so much better. It, okay. me, and Liz, me and Liz are like, that's the best change I've ever seen in an adaptation, basically. I'll tell Josue after we're done recording. Cause okay, for sure. But I don't want to give it out just in case. So, But yes, watch it. It's wonderful. Um, and it's already setting up addressing uh, transgender individuals way more directly than the book did. Yeah, it barely touched it. Or if it did address it, it was just for like, a literally passerby. I was like, yeah, I am. Or it was more for like to give back to the world. But it was like, yeah, it was it was set. more post the the post the big attack. Oh yeah, it's no, like, it's well into this the deals with people that were already transgender. They're actually ah. transgender, like identify that way, not uh, this is me giving back to society. So, little spoiler alert: there's a character that is Hero's best friend, and it's a transgender man. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the virus would actually attack chromosomes, not you know what you actually physically identify as. So, and there's a really interesting bit about, I'm going to spoil this part for you because it's not that big of a deal Um, where her best friend is like, hero's being emo about herself and her best friend's like, what do you think it's like for me out there? He's like, I go out there and and do you know how many questions I have to answer every day because everyone thinks that I'm the only surviving man or something like that. Like, and I have to explain my my body to every person i meet now like and i'm like holy shit like it was really well done and just so fascinating god that show it's just it really stuck with me i really really enjoyed it Um, yeah so check it out very good um and then yeah uh i think that's it though for me yeah um so let's get into books excellent all right guys so kind of a small week for us yeah um a weird week uh, but we are going to start as we always do with the requisite boom <laughs> boom studios we have a couple books and at least one of them is coming to the end to an end and the other is coming to an end for a while so <laughs> let's start with the one that is ending save yourself number four uh written by bones leopard art by kelly nicole matthews letter by jim campbell so this is the magical girl story where the magical girls end up being monsters from <laughs> outer space that are eating people and their sister is teaming up with them or it was teaming up with them, but then goes against them to save earth. Um, I think this was uh, a very good ending. Yeah. I think um, it was very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I, I think it was the kind of like positive story I need because sometimes comics can be pretty grim. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, like, I really, um, I thought it, yeah, it ended well. There's a lot of happiness in the end. Um, the good guys make the right choices. I'm trying to be, like, you know, kind of oblique. And just, yeah, it's just a fun book. It's very perfect for Boombox. And just a really cute, sweet ending, too, uh, for the obvious reasons <laughs> uh, that we've been seeing from issue one. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. What do you think? Honestly, it, it really was a cute ending. Like, you're right. It was not almost like an easy ending, but a very optimistic ending. Yeah, for sure. Like the good guys got to one win. The it was more like the bad guys didn't get to lose, but they just got to learn their lesson in a way. Even though they're ultimately they were really bad guys, like they're like true villains. But it was I like the way it was, it was worked around, especially because yeah, it is it, it does come from Boombox, so it didn't have to be super a, a sad a sad ending to get yeah. the the good ending. 
There was very little angst. Yeah. Like, there's not, like, the hero wins, but at what cost? There's nothing like that in this right. book, So, But I really enjoyed it, so very good. Oh, I didn't do the creative team. Oh, yeah, I did. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I was thought I did, but yeah. Okay, next up, let's talk about Wind. Oh, buddy. Wind 10, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Michael Dialinus, letter by Ann World. I got this cover. Oh, that's good. Oh, I just, cover. I've yeah, just that's, been that's such beautiful. a... I've been such a fan of hers, like, fuck. Yeah. So, let's just cut to the chase at the end. Uh, this is the end of the volume. Yep. And we'll return in 2022. Uh, the but last issue was so dope. The last wind desert we experienced was interminable, so I hope it is very quick. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, this issue was really, really, really cool. Um, of course, the vampires attack the fairy city where our our heroes are hiding, and they frame the 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 humans, and it just this becomes this whole political thing. Um, and the vampires are trying to kill everybody, and Wind, non spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, taps deeper into his powers. Yes, and in a way that is. Almost uncharacteristic of this book. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, that's so true. Like, yeah. it, be, like it really does come to, to it, it doesn't all come like, come like to this issue, but this is the, the issue that you have been waiting for to see what you've even kind of been waiting for, if that makes sense. I, again, I don't want to spoil it either. This issue was just so damn worth it on so many different levels and scenes. Loved it. Love this fucking book. <laughs> It it took the story in a direction that I didn't no, I didn't expect. That's not the word. In in a direction that I didn't anticipate. I guess, I guess I in a way it, I guess like it, not it, this book. More violent. It was more violent than I'm used to from this book, but yeah. It, but within the confines of this world, it made sense to me. It wasn't crazy bloody. This isn't invincible, you know, this isn't mm-hmm. the boys. You know, like it's still that, but like, like it, still, the, it still maintained the charm of wind. Oh no, for sure. Like, like the reveals yeah. have never been this blunt, like the like in the series before. So to just get it, you're like, holy shit! Like, like really, what is happening here? And yeah, but it is literally magical. It is so awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, just so you guys know, the title of our episode is going to be referenced in this book, <laughs> and it's going to be one Good. word, and it's not even really a word, but Josue. Yes. <laughs> the title of this episode will be Gibo. <laughs> so just read Wind if you want to know why. Uh, but amazing. That thing was so fucking cute, by the way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. From one revolutionary book to another. Seven oh. Secrets, number 12. Man Boom is killing it lately. Uh, written do. by Tom Taylor. Illustrated by Danielle DiNucchio. Letter by Ed Dukeshire and color with Walter Barimonte with uh, assistance by Katia Ranali. Okay. This is actually a week for Boom revealing untold powers of their heroes. Yeah, you're right. So, um, in the last issue, of course, uh, we got the reveal that Kanto was the traitor. Which which broke our hearts. Kind Uh, of, until it didn't. (laughs) But it did, too. Oh, it did, but then, it, but it really made up for it on the on the other reveal right after that. Yeah, and then also, like, I mean, they're going to be in opposition now, so one way or the other, you know. So, mm-hmm. it's like a, 
And then uh, when or when, <laughs> uh, so the, the the team is actually hanging out with the um, with the prime minister or the queen, excuse me, the queen of England, yeah. who's one of them apparently, with the prime minister who looks suspiciously like a prime minister in England currently, who is a real piece of shit. I don't hide my politics. Anyways, um, it looks really cool. There's like going to be a really cool sacrificial moment, and then we get the coolest reveal that I'm not going to mention. And this changes this book in so many ways, Josue. Yeah. Yes, it does. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, Titus was great in this issue. Probably his best issue in like five issues. (laughs) Yeah. Where she's like, carry that backpack with the wires sticking out. And he's like, all right. What was his line? Like, if there's one thing I'm good at, like, I'm going to find it because I want to read it exactly because it made me laugh. I'm like, that's the very tightest thing. No problem. If it's one thing I'm well trained in, it's blindly accepting carrying things without knowing what's inside. <laughs> exactly. I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> just so cool. So we find out a little bit more about Kanto's history and her connection to various people, both good and bad. Yeah. And kind of where this is all going. And it's just like really, really, really interesting. <sighs> so good. I love this book so much. We get told another secret. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we get the revelation of another secret. And it makes sense to being like La, La, La Cueta's secret since she was yeah. a mute and being like, I'm so, when she's when, thinking back, like, I'm so sorry you have to keep the secret like just to yourself. And it's like, this is a big one. Like to just yeah. op- open this briefcase and you're just presented with these three little notebooks and you just can't help yourself to read them and then just see the earth unfold itself and then you have to make your choice, but then not do anything about it because you're just a secret keeper. Yep. Fuck, fair, dude, that's fair. so heavy. Yeah. Uh, I think I think um, what we've experienced as far as Caspar's um, uh, revelation at the end. Maybe it's going to tie into the fact that he was basically raised in the world of fairy, which we found out a couple oh, of issues ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to kind of play into it. So I'm curious. I'm really excited to see. So It was so funny because like, you get the turn page and you're like, oh, shit. And then the, the line. And I literally said, what the fuck? And that's literally <laughs> Titus's next line. <laughs> it says like I had a little moment to myself. Yeah. So good. Uh, but yeah, great book. Uh, Excellent book so good that seems like it's the end of the second volume so yeah 12 issues yeah good round number yeah so we'll see uh well next up i'm going to talk about valiant comics very briefly because i got ninjack three got a cover here um once again same art style which again suck it people who hate it it's fine uh jeff parker javier paluto are the, so the two creators of it and once again it's ninjack and he's uh, dealing with the fallout of all the secret agents' identities being revealed, he goes and sees his his um, commanding officer, and it's pretty great. <laughs> the guy's like so cool and suave. This this was a very James Bond issue, where um, they go to find him and they find a dead body, his dead body, and and the girl's like, "Oh no, he's dead," and he's like, "No, he's fine," and he's like, "This is a clone body. It's still cold. He just pulled it out of the freezer. People to make people think he's dead." And so basically, yeah, the, the, the big, basically the Nick Fury has like an LMD basically that he sacrificed for himself. So, um, that was really cool. And then they, um, they get geared up and they go into the next mission and we get to some kind of like really trippy stuff. Like, I don't know if you see these, this double page spread. 
Like I actually do like this here. artwork. I don't see what people are complaining about. This is just like uh, original and interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I really like it. But th- it gets really existential. Uh, nice. Ninjak breathes in some gas that makes him like flashback and stuff. Um, it's just really, really interesting. I'm loving it. Um, and it actually has a preview for Harbinger, which is another Valiant character I always really liked. And I might actually start picking up Harbinger mm. because the way the style for it, like you can see the cover here. Like I'm really digging this. So yeah, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, Valiant. Um, definitely Ninjak is worth picking up if you think you would be a fan. So next up, we're going to get over to Aftershock. I got one Aftershock book. Won't take me very long. Clans of Balari number three. So this book is so good. Oh, in uh, create or the credit page. Ooh, that's nice as well. Yeah. Um, written by Peter Blackie and Rob Blackie. Art by Daniel Main. Color by Carlos Lopez and letter by Taylor Esposito. Um, so this is the one with the, all the clans in space having to live together, not being able to cross, you know, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And this book took me in a direction that I thought was really interesting. So in the first book, he finds the girl. They, they age up. You find out that he raised her. She's like a teenager, early 20s now or something like that. And she's like, I want to be a pilot. He's like, well, we're not pilots. She's like, you were a pilot. And he's like, yeah, and I had to change my identity to protect you, basically. So he pulls some strings in the last issue, and it's like, okay, you're going to be a pilot. So they basically get her into the pilot school. And then this book jumps forward years. Ooh, okay. And she's already training to be a pilot. And she's like the best pilot they have. And so, like, you could see she's, she's like fully grown now. She's like a full grown woman now. And basically, like, um, this uh asteroid blows up and all these uh all these people who are mining it are trapped and they're about to die and they're like we need help and the pilot or the person in charge of the pilot clan is like no nah, i'm good we don't really need to send somebody over there that would endanger them because all clans look out for themselves first you know mm-hmm. and she's like i'll go and the the head of the clan's like no you won't and then she just steals the ship and goes anyways and rescues everybody and uh the head of her clan is like angry and then she's like why don't you just say that you decided to help out after all and then he owes you a favor you know the, the their clan owes you a favor and she's like you're lucky you're smart basically <laughs> so um but it's really cool it's like c- turns into way more of an action book in this and meanwhile the guy in the last issue who was trying to become the head of his new clan and who got rejected is gathering alien artifacts to do something we don't know and then it cuts back to the girl she goes back to visit the old the man who raised her, and now he is an old man. So they jump forward pretty significantly. Huh. Okay. So I think that's really interesting because with We Only Find Them When They're Dead is my other sci-fi book, and it's also kind of jumping forward years, you know, quite a bit. So um but yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm really digging this. I'm very curious to see where this all ties together. So Clans of Lari, really good book. If you like a good sci-fi, especially. In the vein of like a Babylon five, you know. Okay. So. Next up, lots of like one-shot issues in that, I mean, one issue for each publisher. So switching publishers now to Scout Comics. And I got a By the Horns number five. Love oh, nice. this book. It's so good. Um, written by Marquisian Nasso. Um, art, lettering, and design by Jason Moore. 
and color art and effects by Andre Tabakoru. Um, so this is the one with the girl with the two unicorns, the floating eyeball named Evelyn and her deer dog, deer wolf, whatever. And they're all hunting down these five, uh, I think it was five, uh, wiz- wizards who are super powerful and they all kind of share power. So when one dies, the others become more powerful. And of course her, her whole goal is to kill all, all unicorns because the unicorns killed her love, hmm. you know, took her love away from her. And so at the end of the last issue, one of the unicorns is kidnapped and uh, she's like, they're like, we got to get the unicorn back. She's working with them right now. Cause they can help her fight the, the wizards. Basically um, we get another one of those pages with the bestiary with different beasts and like tips about them. Hmm. Okay. So that was cool. Including uh, the Ursa howl who looks like a, um, a giant monkey, basically. Uh, you got a, a hyena with tusks that come out front. It looked really cool. And the Saxa Lynx, which basically it says just avoid this, basically. So, um, And they go to the desert. And they're hunting one of the, the, the wizards in the desert, trying to find the unicorn. Um, and they have this really cool fight with it. Oh, there's also actually a moment, because they're in the desert. Um she goes shopping and she bought sand goggles for everybody. And she's like, except for you, Evelyn, who's a giant floating eyeball. She's like, they don't really come in your size. <laughs> so she, so she gives her a wrap and it makes her look like dupe. <laughs> laugh. Uh-huh. Like, I'll see if I can get an angle for you right there. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> so that made me laugh. Um, and uh, yeah, they go to fight this wizard. Long story short, uh, it hands them their ass and gets teleported away and it gets teleported by one of the other wizards. They're like, Oh, I saved you. And they're like, Oh, thanks. And the other wizard stabs that wizard and takes their powers. Like I want all the magic. So (laughs) she's going to be the big bad guy. The Deus Ex Machina thing they used to travel or to, to escape had them travel two months into the future. Mm -hmm. So it like time is passing pretty rapidly for them. Um, And then we get the revelation that her love isn't actually dead. Um, her love was trampled by unicorns and he is in a coma. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. He's in a coma, brain damage kept alive by quote, shitty farm tech. He'll never wake up never be whole. He'll never hold me again. And the unicorn says, wait, I can heal him with magic. And that's where it was left off. Ooh. So yeah, I'm curious to see where this goes. The thing that sucks is the next issue is her mourning with a hand laying on the ground and it says a quiet place of dying. So I'm not optimistic about the guy getting healed. <laughs> so I love this book. It's so much fun. Like it's just oh, it's so good. And the action's really well done and the characters are great. Very, very awesome fantasy stories. So all right, you guys are sick of hearing from me. Let's talk to Josue a bit. Tell me about the Behemoth and Nine Stones Two. Okay. Possible. Okay. Nine Stones by Samuel. Uh, yeah, Samuel Spano. At the end of this issue, uh, I come to find out uh, there's like a little part kind of describing a little bio. And at the end, uh, started publishing. It says he started publishing Nine Stones as a webcomic. And now finally working as a full-time comic artist. And that makes so much more sense to this book, <laughs> Nine Stones, being released like back-to-back, or two issues back-to-back like this. 
And it also makes sense for a lot of the, the art here. And also just, oh my god, I guess what I'm trying to say is just like, I'm not going to read Nine Stones anymore. <laughs> I am out because this just, at the end of this issue, pretty much this issue just feels like a tame version of something that is probably a little bit more longer, a little bit more pun intended longer and more explicit on its webtoon uh, form. Because there are some lines here. There are certain actions that it's like, we love our representation. And I jumped into this knowing that it was going to be kind of a gay comic. And then I started being like, okay, these kids look a little young. They're like, they're supposed to be like 19 to 22. But they still look very baby-faced. And then the stuff that they do and say, it's, it's just, I'm going to have to tell you, tell you at post-show. Because I don't even want to show it and like, or, <laughs> or, or repeat it on the show right now. So... It just got really weird. Where it's like again, it still gets violent because of like what the plot was about. Like, like the main the the protagonist, the main character's dad runs like a mob, uh, a mafia joint, and so it gets bloody, it gets gore on this side. They get to meet a, a new character that pretty much is like the executioner, like the torture guy, but he's also another one of those like young kids just that added the mix, and he's just psychotic. So I got it. I don't know. It was just too. Like this issue was honestly a little too much, and it's like I, I just I'm about to take a a pause on this one or an actual break because, oh yeah, let me tell you post show. <laughs> I'm gonna put it on the side so I can remember. All right, gotcha. What about nobody's child one? Okay, nobody's child one was actually really cool. Uh, this one was done is done by okay. I'm just saying names in the front. Um, Massimo Rossi and Ramiro Borrayo. And so in this case. I guess it's 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 ah, it is discovered that the horns from white rhino, from white rhinos can actually cure whatever the fuck. It just oh became boy. yeah yes it became it became this magic medicine. So obviously everybody wants it, and it's pretty much what ha- has been happening for the last ever over in Africa with these endangered animals, and it really sucks. So the story is about this one guy, this one guy with like. It's cool because it gets kind of sci-fi. A lot of a lot of people's like prosthetics are like robot arms, like so it's like a little advanced. And this one guy who just has his rifle and is uh, a mechanical leg. He has an, another leg because it gets um, he gets jumped later. He's this one guy who's just who's protecting the last white rhino. And what's cool about it is that it's not. I mean, it's a special rhino. It's the last one, but it's um. It doesn't have a horn. It's literally more of a of a, an already stump. So I don't know if it's like somebody already got to this rhino, but then mm-hmm. like rhinos don't really survive this process, or if it was born this way and people are just going to try and take what little of um, ivory it has. So it's so it's interesting on why why it's still being hunted because it, it is that delicacy or it's like that rarity of, of this guy of this rhino. But this guy's just doing his, his one job, his one life thing to just protect it. It's like if he has got one job in his life. This rhino is gonna fucking die uh, around him, and at the end, he just—he's—he's he's kind of a smoker. Mm-hmm. So at the, at the end of the cave, like they, they take a break, and he starts coughing up blood. So it's kind of like, oh shit, it's this guy's like on a ticking time around of his own. But it's—it's it's a very—it's a cool story. Like, um, it, it reminded me of like the Protector with other the martial arts with Tony Jaa, of just like the, with the the elephant one instead. Uh, I love movie. that. That's actually my favorite Tony Jaa movie. Oh, dope. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great one. <laughs> and so this remind, remind me of that, but instead of the elephants, a rhino, and obviously less martial arts, but the story is still, the same story is still there. So I'm actually stoked for this one because I've only been pushing up Behemoth from their adaptations and not really their originals. So with Cinnamon and now Nobody's Child, it's like, yeah, cool. Give, give me some of, some good shit now. Quick side note about The Protector. Yeah. Um, 
so basically the whole story is he's fighting to get his elephant back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, which is ridiculous, and I love it. Um, <laughs> I saw a mashup where someone took all the fight scenes and they overdubbed the, the Bart Simpson episode where he got stampy. So he's like beating people. It was like, I want my elephant. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Like I always think of that. Like, like kid wants his elephant. <laughs> like, it's so dumb, but I absolutely love it. So, <laughs> um, all right, cool. So let's move on then and talk about IDW. Uh, so I got two IDW books. The first one is. You guys ready for a long title? This one's basically a it's Fallout Boy song. <clears throat> it hit me. Star Wars: The High Republic Adventures, the Monster of Temple Peak. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, it is Star Wars: The High Republic and a side story within that. And uh, so, in the last one, we this is the one where we got the the former Jedi who is now a saber for hire, and she's not really in the mood to be a good guy. I mean, like she does the right thing, but she's not really like trying to be a hero uh she's fight she fights a big spider she ends up rescuing this person who's tied up by the spider and it's like this kid who can turn invisible and he's like i want to be a jedi and she's just like i am not a jedi so she does not want to train him and they basically have this whole like he wants to go with her she says no but circumstances force them to go together and we're gonna have like a burgeoning friendship probably which i really like uh, there's also a really cool shocking end, and I'm wondering if that's all there is to that ending. Um, probably not. Uh, but yeah, I really I really dug this. It's a cool like little side story in the High Republic. And like again, I talked about in the last issue, the saber for hire thing, the whole former Jedi, now a bounty hunter thing. Pretty dope. I really that is that. that is a great idea, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't do the creative team for this one. Written by Kevin Scott. Ooh, nice. Penciled and inked by Rachel Stott. Uh, paints by Vita Efremova and Nicola Rehi. Uh, so yeah, pretty cool. I really dug this book. Um, so just loving what Star Wars is putting out right now. And we'll come back to Star Wars in a bit. But first, we're going to talk about Bermuda number three. So Ooh, this okay. cover, I just love this character's design absolutely so much. That is dope. I just love her so much. Like, which which we'll talk about in a second is unfortunate. So written by John Lehman, drawn by Nick Bradshaw, colored by Lynn O'Grady. Um, so this is the one with the Bermuda Triangle and the people, you know, trapped on the triangle and it's like actually an alternate dimension and they deal with the fact that there's like a, um, a they, they keep flashing back to different people that are marooned on the island. So they go back to 1982 and we have a sub, an American sub that they're trying to avoid the enemy. So they go down really deep, too deep, and they run into a Kraken, oh, which nice. basically attacks their sub. Oh, cool design. And they're like, we don't know how we're going to get out of this. And then we see a shark that's even bigger than the Kraken. Oh. Yeah. An actual Megalodon. Yeah. So they have a, the two of them fight while the sub basically gets beached on Bermuda. And, or Triangle, as the island is named. So it's this whole society of just soldiers. And long story short, they run into them and they have to deal with them. Um, they also fight like giant spiders and stuff. It's just a really fun adventure story. Um, I absolutely love the way they draw the character of Bermuda. I still absolutely adore this. I like her combat style, like this kick. I just really like this kick as like nice. a barbarian kick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's not like a trained fighter. She's trained to survive. You know what I mean? Like so, and that's really how they draw her. 
and yeah, they're still trying to find the kid's sister, and they find out that she's currently in the process of being sacrificed to permanently open the gate to to the triangle. Uh, so they have to stop that. So yeah, a really really good book. Now I say unfortunately, I really enjoy this book because the next issue apparently is the last. Ah, damn it. Okay. So it's only a four issue run, which that's crazy. I'm gonna have to ask John Layman about that when I see him at a con. <laughs> um, but it said, yeah, it says next issue, the conclusion. So damn. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed this book. That's a really shame. So, but yeah, moving on to the biggest indie of all the indies, and that is Image Comics. Borderline not an indie. That's an argument we can have another day. Josue, <laughs> uh, talk to me about Time Before Time 5 Okay, I feel like I'm going to actually talk to you about Time Before Time this time <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of times there So, this one is created by Declan Shelby and Roy McConville uh, As the writers, Joe Palmer as an artist Chris O'Halloran as a colorist And Hassan Atsamane Olau as the lettering Where we last, last left off was that uh, Tatsuo uh, Pretty much like Got in, got in on the bad side of his boss, the son of the mafia of the mob in this case, and he, as punishment, is making him go to the future to retrieve a package, only because he fucked up his time machine pod. He has he has to take the loner, <laughs> so instead of taking a direct shot from yeah from the twenty third century to the thirty third century, we're making we're making some. Quick stops. Imagine just like stopping in this dinky ass um, time machine going from 2299, 2456, 2781, a wobbly 3112, 3311, <laughs> and then our destination, 3455. <laughs> So he's already retrieved a package. He gets it. Um, and on the way back, he hears like this, like slide, this time slide. And he's like, what the fuck? And it's his good buddy, Oscar from the first issue. The one that got the, the one that fucked up his job and got like stuck in the future, got to grow older. And then they send him back. It's a past version of himself. And it's like and oh man and ta- <laughs> yeah yeah yes 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 so tatsuo literally plays it so fucking cool he's like he's throwing it back like what the, like because he, he saw him older he saw those two hours waste away a lifetime from the first issue and it, and, it's, and it's so good that oscar is just like a, a mouthy guy a mouthy friend because he just like, takes over the conversation and just like answers the questions instead of just like knowing the truth or wanting to find out more because he's the one that's like at first he calls out, I was like, oh man, like, Hill, um, Hilgi should really, like, get his shit together. Like, I know he's like, I've been telling Hilgi to get his shit together. One of these days, our pods are going to end up in the same spot. Like, what the fuck? And he's like, so anyway, you must be, you must be from my past, right? Because, like, you look like shit. And they're just, like, joking. So, and Tad's just like, yeah, yeah, buddy, for sure, for sure. And just, like, not really trying to let up. And this is where it gets interesting because Tad's done with his job. Oscar just got there to get pick up his, and it's like, and it's it's, it's really fucked up because right before he leaves, Oscar's just like, yo, like I know things are tough right now, I like, I know it's pretty shit, no spoilers, believe me, but it gets better <laughs> for us, much much better. Just hang in there, okay? And it just, and he's like, okay, and he just waits until he walks away, and he goes into like the 
the that warehouse where the time machines are and just like starts bawling it's like fuck you just like hold that in that whole conversation but at least you got to have one more moment with your fucking pal it was actually a really good scene and then he stops crying and he opens his eyes and he realized that there's his way back Mm -hmm. or we start maybe fucking with time back and he takes and he takes a different way home causing a different past to happen to his friend maybe we don't know what happens there it literally gets that part gets open so i'm like oh shit i really hope shit changes there and yeah he's able to come back or he he made a few stops along the way to to be able to come back and like take care of hilgi but we come back to that scene and it's like as they're waiting for him to come back uh there's a moment and like the fbi lady that also like interjected his time trial from the first issue she gets to jump on hilgi and is able to kill him or actually get to jump on both of the people that were kind of holding her and that's where Tack uh, shows up with like a fancy sci-fi gun. And it's like, I'm ready to save the day. And it's like, oh shit, never mind. Well, <laughs> I guess let's just like reconcile everything. Like, she, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to go visit where her parents are actually at so she can like be with them again. Uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty much like the conclusion for the, for the first volume. Yeah, that concludes uh, the first story. And with that, our first story arc concludes. Um, and the cliffhanger for it was uh, since Hilgi died, we do get to meet now his, uh, his dad. And it's just a spitting Im- image of him. So I'm not sure if he was like a clone, one of those like dad son clones, but it's, they just look so similar. So I'm not sure if like what, how that's going to play into it, but it was actually well worth the, the ride. Like I, I knew I couldn't talk much at first because even I didn't know where we were going. There was <laughs> too much time traveling. Uh, but in the end, like honestly, it, it was really dope to, to just like to culminate to this fifth issue. Nice. All right, uh, for image, I got compass number four. Uh, so nice. Uh, this one is written by Robert McKenzie and David Walker, art by D- Justin Greenwood, colors by Daniel Miwa, and letters by Simon Bowlin. So this is the one where they're looking for the cauldron of eternal life, and it's the um, the Middle Eastern woman, and uh, she's like this awesome explorer type. It's been a lot of fun. She worked with some druids, and now she's doing like the druid trial. And she runs into her old friend slash rival. And there's just really cool moments where like, um, basically like, so they're, they're hanging off the side of a, of a a thing on a rope. Right. So they each have one end of the rope. They're like, well, how are we going to get up? And so basically what they do is they put their feet together and they spin to make it one single braid. Oh, cool. And then one of them climbs up and pulls the other up. So I was like, that's really cool. Like I'm, I'm literally taking D and D notes and shit. Like, <laughs> so, um, and so what they find out is that the, um, they, they basically talk about their, their issues and like her friends working for the Mongols, but she finds out it's, um, they have her dad and that's why she has to and all this stuff. And what they discover is the true protector of the cauldron is a T-Rex, a gigantic T-Rex. And the reason for that is, is because it's the cauldron of eternal life. It never died. It just kept growing Amazing. underground. And so it, say, it, it attacks, be, be quest okay. for a second. <laughs> it attacks her. They have this cool fight scene. Long story short, they defeat it. I won't get into why. It's really great. They're able to get the cauldron out finally. And then who shows up but the Mongols to take it away. So left on a pretty big cliffhanger there. Um. Now, I, I love I, one of the things I've been loving about this book is the essays at the end um, where they've been talking about like the role Mongols play yeah. with druids. This one is kind of like 
we probably shouldn't have used dinosaurs, but we did. <laughs> Basically, it's like <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's just like we were trying to play cool, but dinosaurs. Like <laughs> so, yeah, that was really cool. But I really enjoyed this. Um, it's just a fun adventure story. So really good. Uh, that takes us to the books we share an image, and let's start with Deep Beyond number eight. Okay. So, creative team is Mirka Andolfo, David Goy, Andrea Bracardo, and Barbara Nascenzo. Oh, man. Okay. So, this is a reminder, this is the one where it's the people who went through the portal, they're in another world with some alien-looking dudes. Uh, you guys have been listening for a couple issues now, you probably get an idea. So, um, basically, our humans are like, we need to get out of here, and they decide to escape back to Earth go through the portal well the entire time they're doing this i remember <laughs> that one of them her whole mission is to make sure they don't make it back yeah so i'm like oh no oh no no i thought maybe she might she might be cool i thought maybe they wouldn't have a chance to go back so they wouldn't have to know but uh, that's dumb that would be really bad narrative storytelling <laughs> um but in the end, they're able to escape. They go through the portal. They have like a field shield around them that protects them from the you know pressure of water. And they're like, all right, so we know all this stuff that happened. What are we going to do now? And they're all talking about it. And Paul is like, says, where do we start? And our trader says, nowhere, and shoots him in the head. Yeah. Wow. It's so good. Like, oh no, I should mention I got the Laura Braga cover. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so. Um, God, this book's been really cool and interesting. And, like, I'm loving. I want to know how much time has passed. Oh, I know, right? Because it's like, it, I, I know, like, there's a huge time lapse. And then, like, just crossing over, it's just like, everything's already going to shit. Like, they literally had, like, that last second, or, like, there was no portal come back on the other side. Um, yeah. I know, it, it, it was crazy. I, I, I was really, I was really into it. Just being like, fuck yeah, we're going. I guess we're going back. We have our answers. I I was also thinking about the traitor, but I was not expecting to just be like, and nope. Yeah, and because the the whole <laughs> like this whole issue was was kind of about Paul, like the fact that he could yeah escape the the that cube and then figure shit out, and it's like, oh cool, we're going back with real answers and to report back and. Nope. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that has everything. Yeah. So it's like, oh shit. You know, like, uh. But yeah, I, I've been really enjoying this book. It's been a lot of fun. And again, another good sci fi, like, story yeah. and, like, just really good. So, and then remember when we, where it started, like, just like those, like, those, like, marine, like, like, like monsters, those, like, overgrown monsters. Like, oh, I guess I have an idea. It's like, we're yeah. way past that. It was, was post apocalyptic monster. There's the disease. That was yeah. the story. And that's fu- that's fucking gone. <laughs> None of that matters at all. They actually basically say that in this issue. None of that matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that'd be funny if like the, them being gone for depending on how long they were gone. If like Earth actually did like rebuild itself, like just Mother Nature actually took over. Yeah, so good. But yeah, <sighs> but that brings us to one of our favorites: Homesick Pilots, number nine, written by Dan Waters, drawn by Casper Vingard. Letter by Aditya Bittikar. I got this cover. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I was torn. They were both great covers this week, but I was like, mm, yeah, I'll get that one. Um, so basically, this is the um this is the aftermath of the last issue, which you know makes sense. Um, but Amy and Buzz, you know, they go to that concert, 
the big Nazi body monster shows up. Yeah. They're on the news and the team sees them. And it becomes like a do we go after them kind of thing. And it's I kind of see the side of both of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like I think you should, but also I don't think you should. And they're they're basically talking about how they're um they're more of a research thing. They're not supposed to like go attack things. That's not how this works. You know what I mean? And I really absolutely love the scene where she's standing with the ghosts around her. When she's choosing. Oh yeah. my god. I thought of you reading that. I'm like, he's gonna fucking love this. Dude. <laughs> it, was it, almost, it, it was almost like die. I was thinking of die <laughs> him, uh, him choosing the the weapons. Yeah. And just like, oh, you know, the the baseball bat that, you know, mm-hmm. was so good at hitting the baseballs and then suddenly started hitting other things and it's like, uh and then the radio, you know, your name is Jolene. Like I was just like, oh, this is so crazy. And and the dog, the haunted dog, which is a really cool yes. idea. Yeah. And there's something about Rip. Like the whole the whole mystery about Rip is like, I I get that you're a kid, but it's like it's being played up here. Like, what is it? Yeah. And so so Meg's doing this whole thing and she wants to go fight them, and everybody else is like, No, we can't. And in the end, they decide to try to stop her and they blast her with salt water. And they each take a salt pill and grab one of the ghosts and run, basically. So they're just trying to stop her because you can't power the nuclear bastard without ghosts. Mm-hmm. They they all get away. She lashes out with her power and actually destroys one of the helicopters. Yep, with um, Razor. With Razor aboard. And it goes down and she's like, oh god, I didn't mean to. She's like, it wasn't me, it was the ghost. And He's just like, take a salt pill. She's like, I can't even think about that. They'll fucking kill me, basically. And then he's like, well, there's no ghost to power the nuclear bastard. She's like, don't you realize why we're here specifically? Yeah. And she gives this speech about the atomic bomb, the amount of people that have been killed because of it, and basically reveals there's an army of ghosts around them. And here they are, the traumas of America. Which of you are coming with us? And that's when they cut. Ah, so good. It's really interesting. I, I wonder if, like, because did they 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 just they just took all the ones that she picked, right? Well, the ones that they had, you know, there. Okay, so they they, they were able to take all of them. I, I was wondering, it's like they just took the ones that she was going to utilize, and then like at, she at took the, all of them, but Jolene. I was going to say add the add Jolene to what she just like like powered up right now. Like that's a fucking combo right there. Oh, Jolene's coming back. Yeah, they, they like, set like, that up way too well. So. I dug this. It was really cool. It's a great development. Uh, Super we're keeping, dope. We're keeping the conflict, you know, pretty prominent. And yeah. I just want her to go find Buzz and Amy, and I want everybody to be happy and hang out together. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want anyone to die. I'm sick of people dying in this. <laughs> well, like yeah. so, this the the next conversation should be what the the volume closer. Probably the first it one. Was, a, it might be a two parter. Okay. The, the first the first one was like a one through five, so we can I can imagine yeah. this would be up to ten as well. Yeah, but good stuff. Yeah, and that brings us to a number one. Yes, and that number one's name is Primordial. Yes, brought to us by Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino, yes. Dave Stewart, Steve Wands. You yes? Is there something specific? I love Andrea Sorrentino. Like Jeff Lemire for sure, but Andrea Sorrentino is just 
God, I love I love his artwork. Uh, what would we know him from? He won me over with uh, the, in the New Fifty Two. Oh, which book? I Vampire. Oh yes, yes. yes. I Vampire just looked so beautiful one was like ultimately got canceled because it was one of those new 52 books that was just that damn good and never let up but people weren't reading it and creative teams started shifting everywhere else but this one just yeah. stays so true to its to its book and i hate that it's like when the big two is just like give up on like vampire vampirism and then lupines and stuff because like don't bitch out on those like those are <laughs> if you're gonna bring those in you're just gonna make them weaker when you just touch like upgrade them later and not throughout it and that, that, that's my issue with them but I Vampire was phenomenal, and I've been following Andrea Sorrentino's uh, career ever since then. Gotcha. So this is Primordial number one. And, well, first of all, I got this cover. Yeah, cover A. Yeah, so it was just too cool. Oh, for sure. Um, and basically, it's dealing with the after effects of the space program. And there's little bits in here that are kind of interesting, because it's obviously... Not in our world, <laughs> because Nixon defeated Kennedy, not the other way around. That's right. Well, for the, for the first one, right? Because they, they do mention like the first time. Um, I don't think Nixon and Kennedy ran against each other twice. Oh, I see. Okay. I think Kennedy won his only run. Ooh, okay, okay. So I, I'll double check, but I think I don't think they went against each other twice. So, so I think it is kind of an alternate, like like reality okay so that's really curious um and basically it's about the animals that we launched into space (laughs) so um let me just see here yeah um no he only he only ran once in the six in 1960 and he beat nixon yeah okay okay cool yeah you have me second guessing i'm like i don't think he ever lost okay my bad so anyways um so it's about the the animals that we launched into space. So in our case, we launched some monkeys. In Russia's case, of course, they sent a dog. And basically, in the process of tearing down the space program, there is a discovery of, well, the, we're getting like biometric results for these animals that should be dead, should have been dead after this point. And as soon as the guy comes forward with that, he gets fired and removed and his security clearance is taken away. And then we find out that something happened to these animals. And we start getting really trippy space imagery. Yep. And then we see the two monkeys in a big white room. And sh- walks up is Leka, the dog, who in Cosmo style from Guardians of the Galaxy says hello. And so I don't know what's going to happen here. This is a really cool intro. Yes. Jeff Lemire has a way of doing a first issue that doesn't tell you very much, but hooks you. Right. Yeah. Like We know that the dog has like two years on the monkeys based on like when Russia sent him and then we sent the monkey. So yeah, I'm excited. Because I'm not, where is this going to go? Like what's, who, whose story are we going to follow? Like the guy now getting his promotion or are we going to follow the monkeys? Both? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know, man. It's so cool. Did you did you watch Space Force? Space. Oh, the the, the Netflix, Netflix one. No, I never actually never got around it. There's an episode where they address the fact that they sent a monkey up into space, uh-huh. and they basically expect it to die. <laughs> and then something goes wrong, and they need the monkey to fix something. 
Oh, shit. So, so they had the monkey trainer trying to walk through. It's very funny. It has nothing <laughs> to do with this comic, but it popped in my head. And I'm still, I'm just laughing from it. That show was not great, but there were moments that were amazing. So okay. Check it out. But anyways, back to the book. Really cool book. I think it's a really good hook. I think Jeff Lemire has my attention. A great awesome. premise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and the art is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I just absolutely love it. So, good stuff. Which brings us to the big two. No vault this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate these weeks. I mean, they were, they had a couple weeks where we had like three or four books. So, give them, yeah. give them a little bit of a break. So, uh, we're going to start talking about our DC books. And I'm going to let Hostway start with Wonder Woman 779. Okay. Wonder Woman 779. Uh, this one by Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloonan. Art by Travis Moore. Colors by Tamara Bonvillon. And lettering by Pat Brazu. And this is the finale towards Afterworlds. <laughs> My LARP. So, we finally meet up with Janice. And where we last left off, I feel like I didn't get to talk about the last issue. I, I don't remember actually talking about the last issue. I don't um, either, actually. Because I remember where, 777 being the last one we talked about. Right? And then, uh, so in 778... Yeah, because this one being 779, in 778, they, they go through some, uh, through the multiverse, and in this case, like, they actually go through the fifth dimension. They get to meet up uh, with Batmite and Mr. Mistleplake. So it's kind of like, I, I, I would have had fun talking about that scene, so I, I don't know what happened that week. Um, so anyway, at the end of that issue, we, they do finally chase after Janice in the, the white pocket dimension, and when they get, in the, when they jump through, Janice apparently had killed dead man who's been like the like the like the one dc ally throughout the books i'm like what the right. fuck it's like literally my favorite character my favorite one of my favorite dc characters so he's out and they start fighting janice and but uh boston had one last um fucking uh trick up his sleeve he purposely went to the place where he was resurrecting wonder woman all those times that she was dying back on the asgard uh issues and every time she would die, she, she would like kind of be resurrected in this like white space, and you only got to mm-hmm. see like the shadow of Dead Man before he really revealed himself. And he did this on purpose because like, yo, if we go in here, you can't get you can't get back out. Magic doesn't, magic doesn't work. If she kills me, so be it. She's trapped there. Didn't really count. Didn't really count on that Diana would also just be very Diana and just jump in to save him anyway. But also enter uh, enter Siegfried, Siggy, and Bratatosk. So, um. With her special purple lasso, she's able to almost like command uh, Dead Man back to life, and that's when he starts like saying like, "Yo, like you can't really die. You can't really. We're not really alive. We can't really die here. It's just like uh, an empty space." And Janice just gets like super pissed. That's like, oh, "Well, like now her weapon doesn't work. She can't really rip reality to get out of there." Um, and he and that's when he says like, "Yeah, no, we we're all just like trapped here. Like whatever." And we get some plot. <laughs> We got some plot develop, and now that Dead Man knows that Janice won't really be like, uh, she's kind of sticking to her side, her corner. Dead Man's kind of like, oh yeah, I, I was just kidding. I, I I know how to get out of here without really needing anybody's help. So he leaves, <laughs> and he comes back, <laughs> and he comes back with like the 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 entities that are viewed as the Norns, as the Fates, as these three beings that can call out destiny, and they just like literally just like tie up Janice, and just like she just. She just can't be like, all right, so good guys win. And, but this isn't the way Diana wants to win, or it's not the right way to win. It's not the righteous way to do it. We're just going to kill her off and like, no lesson learned. So they bring, like, when uh, Dead Man also comes back, he brings back some of the other um, Olympian gods because Ratatosk, since he's a 
kind of a trickster himself. He, I guess he has a direct line with like a communication network that is also, I guess, like tied to Hermes and Hermes, Hermes would also just like tell everybody else, like all of uh, Olympus. And then now we, uh, we bring back the original that split up uh, uh, Janus, like the, the, the other God. Um, cause Janus just took up the, like the, the evil one just took up the, the embodiment or like the, per, like personification of, of Diana. So she can go around and just like kill all the other gods in the future. And meanwhile, his other self, the past version, that was like his original form, just want to stay in the past. So he can just re- basically remember the good times and to, and kill off the future. So that basically the past can see the past and never really evolve from that. So it's kind of like, wait, what the fuck? It's like really good. It got a little complicated. <laughs> um, so as a real punishment, um, it's a, it, it almost becomes like kind of like a very like Asgardian Olympus, like, punishment tale like and at the end this is like the weird thing that happened because diana literally sold sewed two bodies like back to back like there's like i'm facing this way you're facing this way and she sewed them down the sides together so that they'll never face each other but they'll have to like talk to each other to like i guess like um learn their lesson that way like they're like like that literally like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> back to back but, yeah but sorry back to back so and, and diana's kind of like it's not my best sewing job but i guess it'll have to do so like okay i guess that's that's how we fix this story <laughs> in that very weird way and in the end she's like all right so they give her the option to be like all right now you can actually go back to being at your peace and she's like well no fuck that like if i'm actually gonna be alive again or now why would i give it up if this is who i am so she kind of stabs herself so now and she disappears and it's alluded that now she's she will be coming back to like the the DCU and actually have like a regular DC story. And cause it's a cool moment where like it goes from like five different panels to like all the different places that she kind of visited throughout this whole arc. And one of them being like my favorite when she went to, um, fuck what was the number earth 12 where it was pretty much like, like the, the all female, uh, justice league. And you get to see like a, a Batman, just like, like, like that, that Batwoman just kind of looking over in the distance, like, <laughs> thinking of like diana being like fuck like she would have been so awesome in this team this is like, this utopia would have been so awesome when not with diana in it um so yeah and it, and it, the last page is just like rat house like telling the story of diana like hit her last adventure with diana to her new litter <laughs> and like they're really cute like uh squirrels with like little horns nice so yeah, i'm excited like now that that's over it really didn't set up like where she's at in the dcu so yeah so now now i'm excited to see like now starting at eight seven eighty like the next 20 issues will be like actually her like being involved with like uh, all the other characters that we know yeah and it'll be interesting because we know that wonder woman evolution is coming from stephanie uh yes. that we talked about so uh, see how those tie in maybe i know she said it's going to be its own thing but it also will come back it will t- she's, yeah I, I was excited when she said like it, it will implicate over to the, the, the universe yeah, so that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, talk to me about I Am Batman number one. I you, almost picked this up, by the you way. You didn't get it? Shit. <laughs> I thought about it, but I was like, do I need another Batman game? Batman, Batman book? I buy right. so many already. And I was like, oh, I know I'm going to buy the Red Hood one. So I'm like, yeah, I yeah. have to pick and choose. You know? This one was really one of those, like, it's a first issue buy, so I'm just going to get it. And only because, um, well, I'll just, I'll just go, I'll just go why, because. Um, it's written by John Ridley and mm-hmm. drawn by Olivier Coipel. That's why I wanted to read it. <laughs> I wanted to see mm-hmm. Coipel's art 
in a Batman book or just in anything that I haven't seen them like draw like a Marvel book in a while. So I was like, fuck it, I'll take it, I'll take it in a DC book and it'll be a Batman book. So it's not going to look, it can't look that bad. It doesn't. It's really, really pretty. Um, what's his name? What's Lucius Fox's son's name? Uh, Jace. Jace, yeah. It's not his real name, but that's what he goes by. Okay. Well, he's super pretty because it opens up with him kind of like doing like the Bruce Wayne thing in the office, but doing it right. Um, and then his, uh, yeah, just, I mean, it's just an intro. Like, he's saying like, he's, like, the new Batman, but he's going to do it differently. He's, like, going to be, like, present. Like, like he almost, like, calling out Batman that, like, because of, like, all, like, the gadgets and all, like, the, the devices and, and all the different rides, like, he started, like, focusing too much up too much up on the sky and forgetting about, like, literally like, the ground, like, the, the people on the ground. And that's why he's, like, like he almost, like, call, he calls himself out that he's, like, yeah, I don't know how to fucking drive a plane, how to pilot a plane or any of those, like, giant tank, giant tanks. So he's just like on a on a little Ducati, just like literally zooming around Gotham. Um, again, another call like he he does like self call outs towards like I guess like the Batman persona towards like himself and Bruce because um, he says like yeah like it must have taken Bruce ages to like to study the rooftops every single angle like how we know that that how Bruce knows Gotham and he doesn't like he's taking up the mantle he's taking up the cowl but he's not going to be that perfect Batman that Bruce thinks he is either so he's gonna he's gonna do it different. And his suit is actually pretty dope because he has a like a like Assassin's Creed, not not the not the not the knives, but they're batons instead. So he just like whips them out and just starts kicking ass. Uh, it's really dope. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not gonna follow this issue through. I just want to see Coypel uh, for like a second. Um, and it's a dope first issue. Like like check check this one out. It reminded me like a little bit like how we say it's like Daredevil and um, mm. and Batman like the same kind of characters ish. Yeah, based yeah, on like who they are and with those billy clubs they kind of made me think of daredevil for a second in here on here that, yeah that's pretty awesome yeah and also it didn't have like a big cliffhanger like it's like oh shit like that's the hook to, to keep me in so it's like it was a cool just like for, for a single issue to read nice cool all right well i'm gonna launch into my dc solos i got a couple first of all harley quinn the animated series number ah, one nice this takes place after season two which i haven't watched yet so that was fun, <laughs> but uh, we'll get into it. R- written by T. Franklin, art by Max Saren, colors by Marissa Louise, letter by Taylor Esposito. The best part about this is there's multiple times in the book where they're like, they say something, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. I didn't, re- I didn't watch the show, and then it would say, just watch the show. Like it would literally <laughs> be an editor's note, like you should just watch the show. And I'm like, well played, editor. <laughs> so, but long story short. This is about Harley and Ivy running away together. And it's on Ivy's wedding day. And it's them. Basically, their opposition is just James Gordon. That's the main opposition of the story. So um, long story short, it does have pretty much the same feel as the the cartoon. And there are some sexy times, um, but not anything graphic. There's no actual nudity. It's just hinted at. But yeah, they do have a lot of cuddles and a lot of kissing and like lots of like this. Oh, okay. Like her doing a flip on the Ivy and stuff. It's really cute. I really dug it. So um, I do need to watch the animated series. I mean, I'm, I'm halfway through season one. I just so much to watch out there. <laughs> so, but no, I really enjoyed this. Um, it does make me want to go watch the show. So that's a really good sign because that's probably what it meant to do. Um, but yeah, really dug it. And just the cover. Just these two. Yeah. That's just cute. Like, I love it. So, yep. And James Gordon being, like, kind of the bad guy from their perspective is interesting. (laughs) 
he's just he just wants the key to the city and he keeps failing stopping bad guys and stuff so uh and next solo challenge of the super sons number six Oh boy. Written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Evan Stanley, Louis uh, Guerrero doing the coloring, and Rob Lay doing the lettering. This is the, ne- I believe it's the next to last issue. Okay. Uh, in every issue, we've been seeing that the uh, Robin, or Damien, I should say, just to be clear, Damien and John Kent have been saving uh, members of the Justice League from Felix Faust and Vandal Savage, so- Savage from back in time. They have a little scroll that tells them who's going to be in danger next. In the last issue, they found out that the last two targets are the two of them, not their fathers. So, which is a really interesting thing, I thought. And then this entire issue takes place in the past and sets up what happened, how they got the scroll, um, their fight with uh, with uh, Felix Faust and, and Venom Savage themselves. Um, it's pretty funny. There, there are bits that are just like, because it's, you know, it's a kid's book. It's pretty, you know, immature at times, but in a really funny way. Like they're hiding in this girl's uh this girl's magic like little lair and um like uh Superboy is just sitting there drinking this tea and he's like, This is really good tea. She's like, I'm so happy to hear you're enjoying it. And Robin's like Ugh. And then he's like, Maybe your dad can buy whatever company makes this drink in our time and he's like, Yes, I'll be sure to mention it to him. And then she reveals she's like, Honestly, it's so seldom I can find someone else who can stomach the fermentation of troll urine. <laughs> and he goes, troll what? And he spits it out, and there's Damien being like, ah, you drank pee. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it more, it, oh, I know, it more sets up the finale of what's going to happen. So they go to the they go back to the present, and it's going to be them, you know, fighting for themselves in the end. So um, really cool. Also, the girl keeps calling uh, Superboy Superman. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek when he leaves, and Robin's clearly jealous. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Fun book. It definitely is setting up the finale. Oh, and I got the deluxe cover for this one, so, yeah. Good stuff. All right, my last solo is Batman Urban Legends number seven. I was going to say, doesn't she know that Damon's, like, it does touch on a sensitive side by reading manga? By showing her manga? Exactly. Okay, so Batman Urban Legends is the um, the anthology one. So, very quickly. First story, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, and it's a Mac, it's a it's a Batman Beyond story, by the way. Oh, that's the one, yeah, the the, the death of the one. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about okay, it. Okay, okay. Arts by Max Dunbar, colors by Sebastian Chang, lettering by DT Bitacard. The second story is a Batman six 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 story, written by Tim Seeley, drawn and colored by Juan Ferreira, and lettered by Becca Carey. The next one is Future State Batgirl, written, drawn, colored, and lettered by Guillaume Singelan. And the last one is Batman One Million, um, written by Kenny Porter, drawn by Valdemar Rivas, colored by Alejandro Sanchez, and lettered by Tom Napolitano. Uh, for me, the standout one is the Batman Beyond story, and it's really interesting, and it's leading us into a new Batman Beyond series. Oh, that's cool. So basically, uh, if you're a Batman Beyond fan, you know Terry McGinnis is Batman. And Bruce is like his his Alfred. You know, he's back in the cave cheering him on and stuff, right? I was it cheering him on. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I get you. Dean Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so this story starts with Bruce Wayne dying. Mm-hmm. So he's dying. Terry McGinnis finds him. And he's just like, 
basically tells him, you know, you're Batman now. I never thought you were going to be Batman. I didn't think you were, you know, you could be Batman, but you are. You need to do it, blah, 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 right? The whole thing is he has to find out who killed Batman. And he's doing all this investigation, all this investigation. And then he realized it's basically, he comes to the conclusion that it's an AI that killed Batman. Batman basically made a living Gotham City city AI in the Bat Cave, and it killed Batman. What the fuck? Yeah, and <laughs> it was a really cool reveal. Uh, and he basically was like, uh, "Batman would never do this without some way to shut you down." Basically, he finds a way to shut it down. Okay. And there's this really cool scene where they cut to uh, Batman dying or Bruce dying, and he's like, you know. Uh, when you find the villain, the person that did this, you must remember the goodness in you that I could never teach. Because he's like, I was, blah, 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 you know, I'm a bad guy, basically. My Batman was a bad guy, is what he's telling him. Mm-hmm. He says, I was vengeance, I was the knight, but you, cuts to this, I am Batman. Yeah. I seen, so, seen that preview, and it's like, you can just hear the Kevin Conroy in that line. Yeah. So, then he powers the living Gotham back up. And it's like, what are you doing? He's like, basically, he's not, he's not Bruce. He's not going to kill, kill it, you know? And he's basically going to trap it. It's trapped now. And he blows up the mansion. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And then we did get, it's going to be continuing in Batman Beyond Neo Year One coming in April. Oh, crazy. Nice. So we got some time. I love Batman Beyond. Um, the other stories are good. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Batman 666, but it's Tim Seeley. So it was a good, it was yeah. a good read. Um, the, Batgirl, Future State Batgirl was pretty good too as well. Um, just just fun stuff. The Batman with no name was really interesting. Um, but it didn't have that, you know, like the Jason Todd story anchored this series for me yeah. up to this point. It didn't really have that for me. Mm-hmm. It seems like they were all kind of one shots. So it was yeah. like, eh. So. I thought Bruce created his own like Gotham Ultron. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now our shared DC, and let's start with let's actually start with Future State Gotham. Okay, uh, I got this covered. Oh, okay, so White Rabbit, um, creative team, written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, art by Giannis Milogiannis, lettered by Troy Pateri. So after kind of taking a little bit of a detour in the last issue, oh yeah. Where we went to like more talk about Harley and Punchline, Punchline and stuff. Yeah, we're back to the Jason Todd versus New Batman story, and um, it's dealing with uh, with Warmonger, this new guy who basically won't stand for peace. We find out his origin; it's really interesting um, about how he was basically created by the magistrate. Yeah, he was the original like peacekeeper, mm-hmm. but he couldn't, <laughs> so uh, he couldn't keep peace. Um, and he basically has them fight each other, and they're they're being controlled by Mad Hatter's tech. And there's this whole thing in um, in the other the the future state that Red Hood was in about um, about Mad Hatter's tech and how he had died and all this stuff, and it played directly into this. And long story short, they're able to actually overcome it and defeat him. And uh, basically, they need to. Um, they need to do um they need to work together is what's going to happen so um they have to figure out a way to do it basically to get into blackgate penitentiary 
And they're like, well, we can't do it alone. And that's when Jason's like, that's why we need your help, Batman, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> that leads with the big moment at the end where Jason Todd has arrested Batman. So, um, yeah, pretty cool. I, again, it just, it's hard to talk about this book without talking about the aesthetic. Oh, I know. I just love it. Yeah, it's just it's just really great. The black and white really works for this story, I think. It does. And again, we talk about the Akira thing, but it's very much an Akira homage. Uh-huh. And and just I really really dug it. So what do you think? Um I mean, first of all, sh- shout out to still at the very least cameoing um Hunter Panic or Huntress Panic. Um she yes. she was in the, she was in the last issue and I was like, "Yeah, cool. Give me some more Mother Panic, Huntress Panic. Just give me some more of like Gothamite Panic." um in my book so cool at least at least you're still around she kicked uh, punchline's ass so that's cool um and you talk about the aesthetic of this one like we love night the nightwing book but this nightwing look with like the like the the ear uh, um like kind of covers down the chin strap is like it also seems also like appropriately like armored like for like the situation and i I just i i dig this look too and also the the reveal of we finally find out found out who did the the bat sized uh, hole in Gotham? Yes, yeah, because yeah. we all knew it wasn't Batman, but right, it's like who was it? You know, so very good. And also the the that post story in, in the end was dark as fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, that was crazy dark. I knew was like that. so <laughs> good. Like like this, like the Joker just looked crazy. And again, it's like oh, it's, it's part of the art art style. So like, let's make him look that much more hideous and monstrous. And you get to see like oh, like the little lips in the, in the middle, but just paint the big ass smile as, as uh, the paint job and then just a great punchline in the end i just it just whereas it's just like the antithesis the antithesis of this character i don't want to spoil it because he's always always like no don't do it but now i'm just like <laughs> damn this fucking batman must really need help like this bruce is probably psychotic if they're <laughs> if you are just being lured into this trap yeah all right, that brings us to our last DC book, which is a number one. Yes. Titans United, number one. You guys knew we were going to pick this up. <laughs> uh, written by Kevin Scott, which is great. Yeah. Uh, penciled by Jose Luis, inked by Jonas Trinidad, and colored by Rex Locus, Rex Locus letter by Carlos Mangual. Um, so this is pretty clearly not taking place concurrently with Teen Titans Academy. It seems to be off to its own side, just because of the roster. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because I mean, there's some differences there so. oh, with the uh, Red Hood. But I was gonna say, like, but but they did establish that there's like, well, like, Superboy's they, the one I was concerned about. Oh, oh you're right. But it's um, he's he's in the Suicide Squad right now, isn't he? <laughs> oh yeah. But we did. I, I did like that they established as like, yeah, we have like we're opening up for like the students. We have like the Teen Titans, but there's like there are like the Titans core group. So it's kind of like them like. A, story at least like a moment away from like the whole academy thing but you're right about the superboy thing yeah so i think this was really interesting it's the titans and they're taking on a guy that seems to be basically copying their powers Mm -hmm. um so the group we got is superboy which is connor i believe um red hood and nightwing which Mm -hmm. is interesting but i guess you need red hood there to be the one that doesn't get along with anybody um (laughs) raven uh, Donna Troy, eh, Starfire, <laughs> and Beast Boy. So basically, the the core group everybody knows, also Red Hood and Donna Troy are there. Uh, so, um, yeah, they're basically fighting this dude who's still in their powers, and he basically hands them their ass for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and uh, nearly kills Beast Boy. Lots goes on. He's about to blow up, and Superboy's able to fly him off, so he, f- he blows up up in the air, and Superboy crashes through the Earth, lacking his powers. So some shit's going down. Um, that Most of the issue was that fight scene, and just kind of setting up what's going on and everything, without actually telling us yet. And we find out the dude they're fighting was just like a minor criminal, like just some petty theft and stuff like that. Um, so no sign he ever had these powers before. Right. And then they get a call at the end from Dove and Hawk. And I love that because I love Hawk and Dove. They're so great. Um, where they're like, hey, we're getting our asses handed to us by Chuck Brown. He's like, you need help with Kite Man? <laughs> and then it cuts and Kite Man is using a bunch of powers. And so it's kind of like what's going to happen here. It doesn't really tell us you know, how it's happening or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem like we're going to need basically that their, own, their powers are being turned against them in some way. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to see exactly, you know, what happened here. This is a mini. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a self-contained story, but it's been a lot of fun. I also got this cover, this Nightwing cover. Oh, I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what'd you think? Um, I, honestly, I did enjoy it. I was, I was going in thinking like if it was going to be tied into the Academy, not necessarily like make it super close to it, but it's like a reference or it's like, yo, it's just like, this is too much for like, the school stuff, we need to fucking step out and like handle this mission, but Or even I, if they're just like, Well, we can't leave the kids alone too long or just one yeah. reference, yeah. <laughs> um but but yeah, but but I like that we didn't get revealed too much, just like to still be like well, I still want to come back for more, see like what's going on. But because what was what was going on in this issue alone, which is like still interesting enough. Yeah, like 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 you said, like them facing themselves. And uh this, this more feels like it ties into the Titan show. Ooh, okay. Because that's kind of the cast of the show. I'm pretty it, sure Hawk and Dove are in the show now. It even has like the little plug in the bottom corner to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it might be like cross-promotion kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. Plus, Starfire kind of looks like the TV Starfire that more one. than our current Starfire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I just got it for like the... Also got it for like the... the come on, Scott. Just because oh, him and... Scott's great. The Shadow Service with the Volt and a few, and a few other books. I just like him, him being around. He does Star Wars too, so... Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, that is going to wrap up our run with DC. So let's talk about Marvel. Yes. Um, we're going to start with our solo books. I'll start with mine. First of all, Star Wars, War of the Bounty Hunters. Boosh, number one. <laughs> I love Boosh. It's just fun to say. Um, written by Alyssa Wong. Drawn by, drumroll, David Baldion. Uh, colored by Israel Silva and lettered by Ariana Mayer. This is a one-shot, uh, so if you guys really want some David Baldi on art, this is a good one to buy. So, Boosh is a bounty hunter, and you'd probably recognize him if you saw him from, like, crowd shots and stuff in Star Wars. Uh, he's, for, he's Ubi's, which is the name of, like, his his planet residence. So, their their planet's very interesting in that if you if you if you do a crime, you basically get banished from the planet. And you lose your name and all this stuff. And he, you wear this armor. So I'll give you, this is him. Okay. Like, you've probably seen that face. Yeah. Yeah. So you find out that him and all these other Ubi's people who were, um, who were kicked out of the planet are now kind of like their own found family of mercenaries traveling around together, which is really cool, actually. And 
they're hired to wipe out the Treg dynasty family, which is the one that Dr. Afra is currently working for. And it's basically the eight senior members of the family. And this is when the David Baldion art really pops because this is 100% of David Baldion face. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're hired to wipe out this, this, you know, crime family basically. And you get to see kind of how the crime family works more than so than you did in Dr. Afra, which is cool because Alyssa Wong's writing this. She also writes Dr. Afra. So they're going to tie pretty well together. I think. Mm-hmm. And, it's just like this cool political drama, almost like, you know, they're brought into like a mafia situation, you know, trying to wipe out this stuff. And so the Domina Trig, the one who hired Dr. Afra, the head of the family, basically is able to fight them off. He finds out that one of the members of the family are the ones that actually hired them to wipe out everybody else so he can take over. And she ends up shanking him, which was pretty great. Nice. And then she's basically like, Hey, you were offered two hundred thousand credits to kill us. Hey, why don't you tell me the real employer? Because it's not that guy; it's someone else. And I'll give you three hundred thousand and help you return to your your home planet. And they're basically like, "That's impossible. We can't. You know, once you're exiled, you can't go back." And she's like, "I have connections. Basically, I can do whatever I need to on that planet." She's like, "Work for me, and I'll find a way to return you to your planet. You can go home to the whole family." So. Oh, nice. So it's really cool. I really enjoyed this, and it ties directly into. It says to be continued in Doctor Afra, so it's going to tie directly into the next Doctor Afra. Oh, that's cool. Really dug this actually. Boosh is a really cool character. He's less over the top than most of the other bounty hunters. So mm-hmm. that shot, that shot you showed me of like when she was uh, when she stabbed the guy. Just that position alone, that second and a half that you showed me, I, my mind blanked. I was like, did you get an exports car- issue that I didn't know about? <laughs> yeah, right. So, so good. That brings me to my next Star Wars book, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, Darth Vader, number 16, written by Greg Pak, drawn by Rafael Inoko Ienko, uh, colored by Jason Keith and Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettered by Joe Caramagna. So this one is, it's basically Vader, again, trying to get Skywalker, and he's running away, and he decides to leave Han behind to go, go after Skywalker. Uh, they have, like, a dogfight in their ships. This whole thing happens. Um, the huts are like, okay, we're going to jack Han Solo now, basically, now that Vader's not watching. And, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. At the same time, um, we, uh, we get an update from the last issue where, um, where, uh, Vader basically tested his, uh, his follower, uh, Ochi. And Ochi ends up fighting the person that's trying to kill Vader. And uh, loses because he's 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 good, but he's not that good. Mm. And um, yeah, and then so the basically that that person's like, listen, he wants he wants the emperor wants Sky Skywalker. He's like, I serve the emperor. She goes, I serve the emperor. I don't serve Vader. And she's like, the emperor wants Skywalker because she thinks he can replace Vader and be better than him. Basically, she explains the whole situation, the whole plot of the third movie, basically. <laughs> um, and then it does kind of like leave off with him with Vader chasing Luke. So. Um, yeah, but we'll get another issue to conclude that, I think, probably for War of the Bounty Hunters. So, pretty good stuff. Josue, tell me about Fantastic Four, Live Story number four. Whew, Fantastic Four, Live Story number four, the 90s. This one by Mark Russell. Artists are Sean Izakse and Francesco Mana. 
Color artist is uh, Nolan Woodard and lettering by Joe Caramanga. Does anyone wear Jinko jeans? Um, actually, no. <laughs> no, because... Um, Missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and no, because uh, this uh, most of this issue is through the point of view of the thing. So he'd be... I mean, honestly, they're probably the only pants that would fit I, I him. I was going to say those would be perfect for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he'd be caught dead wearing fucking Jinkos. So... He's literally like trying to live out, live out his best life. He's much better, like he's much better being okay with being the thing. He actually says like he likes the nineties. Like everybody dresses like a dock worker and just like the, <laughs> the crazy style of the nineties. You know, um, you get a, a cool like update around the world. Um, like with with Stark, he made uh the hydrogen engine that will power that will power cheap, clean, and pl- uh, and plentiful around strangling the threat of global warming in its infancy. Wouldn't that's that a, be nice? That's a way to put it, isn't it? Strangling it in its infancy. <laughs> I, it's even used in a dark context. That's a very weird and, word. And even somebody in the crowd is like, that's taking like a paparazzi is like, awkward, uh, awkward analogy, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then on the other side, uh, on the other side of the world and Wakanda, uh, basically the, the Wakandans came out and be like, yeah, like the Wakanda and the African Alliance have created a vaccine for the plague known as AIDS. Again, wouldn't that be nice? And it's just, it's very fucking 90s. It's like, all right, cool. But again, it's, it's all about the thing. And he's he's still bummed out. Like, at least, like, he's living his best life, but um, he meets up with Sue, and, like, they, they, they go to Johnny's grave. He died in the last issue back in the 80s. So mm-hmm. at least, like, at least like, they still have to go into that for themselves. Uh, Franklin is actually, like, a kid. He's actually going to get married. So that's kind of a, like, of a jump there. There's a fucked up moment with the thing meeting up with, uh, like, his ex- girlfriend or like basically like the the ex the his ex uh, love interest uh sally and they basically it's so fucked up uh it's, it's basically a, a 500 days of summer scene with like oh, the whole yeah. like like the, the end thing at the park and she's just like basically like yo i'm gonna get fucking married it's gonna be fucking dope but nice seeing you again and it's like well that's fucking sucks um meanwhile what's reed up to reed is still i guess again like, this whole thing is he's obsessed about galactus um he not he now has not one but two Mendelstrom heads, because <laughs> of course he had, because <laughs> of course he had to make a second head so that it so that it can siphon out all like the information without getting all the bad um all the bad mannerisms, if you will, of the other head. So I'm sure that'll bode well. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, I guess now uh, it took him uh, a whole year. Uh, but in the in 1995, the thing decides to go do some online dating because I guess the internet was like um, that good, that efficient to have online dating sites way back when. At least like well enough, like the, it looks like literally almost like OkCupid. So he literally goes on a blind date, a literal blind date, and this is where he meets Alicia, and this is where actually it, it gets like super pretty and it's beautiful because like you know the story, like he finally actually finds the love of his life. Right, and and you get a really touchy story of like him like at, at the war. Like there's like a dinner scene where he's like thinking about after after a few days he's thinking about breaking it up with her because he starts saying like no I'm, like, I'm not just like a like the rock monster I'm like a monster inside too. And he shares a story that he's never shared with anybody else like him in the I guess in this case it'd be the Korean War. Yeah, and it was like, like even though when he was stationed out there there's like a little town and like the kids li- like liked him and everything, and then orders were orders so he was meant to just like go over like the, the enemy lines and like bomb through a few like, like uh, through a line and it turns out that 
in that zone was that village that he was really attached to and all the kids were. So all these kids that they didn't really die, but you do get to see that they really got banged up, like to put it lightly. And he just feels like really shitty. And that's what he, and he, that is where he gets like dishonorably discharged. And she's like, yeah, I really don't give a fuck about that. Like, I know, like, I know what you, I figured what you had to go through, but I'm not going to put that against you. Mm-hmm. And they, and they, and they, and they still stick together. And then we get a reveal here on an update on Reed. And I wish maybe this part would have been um, saved for the next decade. Cause, um, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, yeah, it has been 30 years. And even then, I'm trying to remember how how old Reed was then. Cause he was also already an adult. We weren't, we weren't kind of painting like his origins, origins. He's already like fucked up Reed Richards becoming Mr. Fantastic. Because in 1996, he gets a shot of, like, the thing waking him up. And he is old. Like, gray-haired, l- looks like a frail old man. And then at the bottom, you see him, like, using his Mr. Fantastic powers to literally give himself, like, a self-liposuction. And that's how he, he kind of maintains his his look. <laughs> oh, man, if only. Be- I know, right? <laughs> and it, it's, it's such a gr- gross process. It's just, like, the way he just, like, just, like... Literally almost like stretches his cheeks a little too much, and then it's just like bloop. It's the oh. read you. It's the read you all know. Um. So yeah. So then like we end up at uh Franklin's uh wedding. It's interesting. No Valeria. Like he's literally like Franklin's already an adult, and like no Valeria. And I guess I guess in this timeline, uh, because then we get yeah. It sucks. Like during the whole ceremony, like during like the a nice dance. That's when I guess like a ping. A read gets a ping that Galactus is here. And of course, they all have to leave. They get into like their their spaceship, and they go and they go into orbit. And at this point, Reed had just finished like with the Mendelstrom heads. Reed had just finished his Earth defense system around around the uh, around the planet for in case when Galactus shows up. Right. Only we know that Galactus doesn't show up first. Enter Silver Surfer, and he literally just like zips by all those like gun satellites, destroys destroys them all. Super dope. Uh, the thing, the thing like hops out of the hops out of the ship, is able to only have like one trajectory course. Still lands a solid kick on him, but the Silver Surfer is like uh fucking bored to me, and then just goes like, and just goes like uh, meh, just get off of me, <laughs> and and then and then ca- and causes thing to just now be sucked into the sun's gravitational pull <laughs> um he doesn't die they save him um, I was like, uh... <laughs> yeah no i wasn't gonna be like all light on the light no no it's also like the like, spoiler alert he's, he's fine silver service is kind of like all right um screw these four assholes uh who runs this who runs uh, this planet and goes around like a bunch of different places figures he stops at the un where everybody's at and he's and he silver is like yo sorry y'all y'all are fucked <laughs> i'm sorry but it's over um, and you get the fuck out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what do you say? He because uh, he does give him a timeline. It's so like, yeah, you have. Oh yeah, obviously because we're doing the decades. You have ten years, and then Galactus shows up, and then y'all really have to figure it out. Um, and everybody's like, oh man, Reed was right. <laughs> um, and then the issue ends in 1999 as the ball's dropping for the the turn of the millennium, and it it's on a kind of a good note. Cause you just, it's a, it's a reporter and be like, and it's a new year. And like, and it's all thanks to, and we made it to the year 2000s. Thanks to the fantastic four. And it cuts the Baxter building. And like, Reed is just like, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there's two issues left. The next one is the two thousands. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be Galactus showing up, which will make me curious on what the six issue is going to be. If it even goes to six issues. I mean, it has been going throughout these like hour, 
potential lifetime, like the Spider-Man went to the 2010s. So I'm, I'm hoping it goes for that extra issue. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. So I didn't expect this transition to happen, but I'm also going to talk about a book with Mendel Strom in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Web of Spider-Man number five. Okay. Uh, so uh, written by Kevin Shinnick, art by Alberto Albuquerque, color by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letter by Joe Sabino. Uh, so yeah, this is the you know the all ages Spider-Man team of book with all the young smart people, and Mendelstrom basically created a c- cybernetic uh, Green Goblin named Cygob, and he he's fighting them, attacking them, trying to steal all this information. He actually takes over the Louvre in Paris, which nice. um, which is funny because it gives the kids a chance to just basically spout all the fun facts they know about the Louvre, which is funny. <laughs> They're like. I wish there was a way we could trap him in there. It's like, we can. Tell him he can't come out until he's viewed every piece of art and display. And they're like, ha, that's right. They say if you spend only 30 seconds in front of each exhibit, it'll take 100 days to see it all. Oh, wow. And, and then they're like, you know, the pyramid's made of 666 panes of glass, which is an unlucky <laughs> number, you know? Yeah. And says, well, if you know, if you do the research, it's actually 673. It's like... Oh, my God. It's <laughs> so a long story short. They steal six of the panes, so then it there is six hundred and sixty six after they steal. Oh, I love that metal. <laughs> <laughs> and they use it to reflect his little thing back at him. They work okay. as a team. Uh they stop him. And in the end they put up a new exhibit, which is a picture of the team. <laughs> so cool. yeah, it's been it was a fun, you know, issue. A fun run. It's something too serious, it's nice and lighthearted. Really good for all ages. And yeah, I dug it. Really good introduction to a lot of characters. Too like um like if you're not a big Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur person, she's in there. Nice. Some Amadeus Cho, some Squirrel Girl. You know, characters aren't really doing much with right now, anyways. So no mutated exploding brains coming out. <laughs> no, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nonstop is great. <laughs> so, next up, Spider Woman number fifteen. I got this cover because I loved it. It's just her munching on a burger with with uh, Miles. Oh. I love when they do shit like that. It's the Miles' tenth anniversary cover. So nice. Have you, can you believe it's been ten years since Miles Morales? Bro, tell there? me about it. Yeah, that's crazy. Written by Carla Pacheco, drawn by Pere Perez, colored by Frank Darmada, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. So, in the last issue, Spider Woman was betrayed by her brother. She has the cure for her niece, um, but he used it on himself instead, and now he's like super powered, and his girlfriend also has superpowers and apparently she inherited her power to um use pheromones mm. uh so she uses her pheromones to control him uh there is an amazing scene where she's in the helicopter and she has to jump out with her niece and a and a dog which leads to this shot which is an homage to one of the most famous spider woman shots in comics so yeah I love that. that's actually cool yeah i like that a lot and basically, yeah, they they recover. They go to a uh, safe house with her. They go pick up the babysitter and her baby, and um, they're in the safe house. And she finds out exactly what happened. Uh, she finds out a lot about like uh, how her her brother, or yeah, how her brother met his wife. And she's she's very adorable. It's really well done. And basically, it's kind of it kind of references that that. MJ story in the future where Spider-Man poisoned her because he's radioactive and they yeah. have sex. Um, that kind of happens here. She gets pregnant and having a radioactive baby inside of her kills her. Oh shit. Okay. So the girl gets born and she also has powers to a degree. 
and she builds her own suit. And she's like, all right, let's go get your dad back, but I'm not giving you a fancy sidekick name. Don't need one. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, we'll see what happens with her dad and everything. So good stuff. Last up of my solos. Oh, wait, no, I got two more solos left. Sorry. Uh, the Mighty Valkyries number five. So this is the finale. Written by Jason Aaron and Torn Gronbeck. Art by Mattia de Ulis. Letter by Joe Sabino. So, uh, in this one, Runa and Jane are together now. So, it's one story. You know, it doesn't flash back. And oh, forth cool. Okay. Um, basically, Hell is taken over by the skeleton of the dragon Fafnir. Ah, so cool. And a lot goes on here. So, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything that happens. <laughs> but it does address the... Um, it does address the the little girls that were kidnapped previously and turned into goddesses. Uh, that that is going to be a thing that's going to matter very much so in the future. I think um, Craven does kill the wolf, but he doesn't actually die because he's like a god. But Craven actually gets his prey, which is kind of cool. I expected them to kind of bitch out on that. Um, but yeah, it's just really really cool. And long story short, the wolf. Ends up eating hell. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, he grew to a monstrous size. He ate hell. And then the Valkyries are like, you can't eat hell. He goes, bad queens. <laughs> it's like, no, sad queens. Let them go. He's like, fine. And then he just ralphs up all of hell. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Like, I love it. He's like, eh. And then he, like Loki, too. He's like, eh. It's <laughs> Loki out. And Loki's like doing his whole like outrage thing and stuff. Uh, long story short, in the end, Loki reveals that when the uh, girls return to gods, um, basically he took or Carnilla took a hair of hers and binded it to them. So Jane is now attached to these girls for the rest of their lives. Oh, okay. And it kind of implies she's going to raise them. And Loki's helping her because he's like he, he's like doing a shield charm to help them hit keep them hidden and stuff. She's like, "Why are you helping?" And he's like, uh, "Funny thing, when I gave Carnelia your hair, I slipped in a strand of my own." Huh. And she goes, "Why would you do that?" He's like, "An impulse." He's like, "The little gods will need guidance when they're older." She's like, "Godfather Loki, you know I've heard it all. Goodbye, Loki." And he's like, what? And when she leaves, he's like, well, I was thinking more all father instead of godfather. So I was like, uh. Yeah, or something to do with, like, you know, the god of stories. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck. <laughs> so, so that was the end, and it said, what a beautiful goodbye, blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, oh, it says uh, the Valkyries will return sooner than you expect. Ooh, nice. And it says, in the meantime, get your Jane Foster fix and another Jason Eric extravaganza. The Afterlight's greatest protector, Jane Foster, joins the Avengers in Avengers 750. Ooh, okay. Nice. So, that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, I really enjoyed this run. It was a good mini. And I think it, um, coming out of King and Black, I think it, it addressed those characters really well. It really introduced Runa to the Marvel Universe, which is awesome, because she's great. So, yeah. Last book, that's Solo. Kang, the Conqueror, number two. <laughs> Written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Are drawn by Carlos Magno. Colored by Espen Grunditchern and lettered by Joe Caramagna. So this is basically Teen Kang just hopping through time through his different like you know periods where he was important, basically mm -hmm. seeing himself. That's the whole point of this book. And this one is him going to Egypt when he was Ramatut. 
and it's just really really interesting he um he's there and he he's opposing kang and he's found after uh, he tries to tries to kill some of kang's people he stopped and he's saved by this person Ooh, okay so they have like you know a bird mask on <laughs> and you find out that this is the moon knight of that era of course her name is ravana the moon knight and she's hot so (laughs) (laughs) she takes the mask off that's what she looks like so okay nice so she basically is like i'm the moon knight i'm opposing him and she start or he starts fighting with her to stop king and in the process they fall in love Mm. and the entire time he's hearing king tell him don't fall in love it's a weakness uh long story short they end up losing the battle she is actually thrown into quote the pleasure gardens and uh she's like i'll kill you before i let you touch me and then they basically have a mind control thing they shoot her with and now she can't stop she can't basically fight him at all so teen kang he's about to kill teen kang and then teen kang's like i'm you if you kill me you're killing yourself and he's like fine kicks him out and then kang turns to the real fight which is against apocalypse oh what because he was in sabanura back back then okay and long story short um he's basically saying i'll have my revenge on king i'll have my revenge on king and then the fantastic four show up and defeat king just like they always did Mm mm-hmm so Kang's defeated and he doesn't get his revenge, but he's like basically everything Kang did was burned. Like in, like Apocalypse took what he wanted and burned everything else. He never found Ravana. So he basically says, I'm not gonna deal with this, and he goes and he bows before somebody and he says, Together we can destroy Kang, and he's bound before Apocalypse. And in God the preview damn. in the preview of the next issue you can see it's doom like so i'm very curious i've been really enjoying this it's a really good primer of who kang is he's he's one of the most complicated characters as far as like history goes Mm -hmm. so it was good to have this to kind of break it all down so all right now we're going to talk about the books we share we don't have a ton so let's start off with the last annihilation wakanda number one uh written by evan narcisse Drawn by Herman Perata, colored by Jesus Abertov, and lettered by Corey Petit. Um, straight off the bat, this book, the, the best thing about this book is it centers around my boy, Umbaku. I love him so much. He is the best. Um, and it, it really follows up with the, the Intergalactic Republic of Wakanda which I didn't read that whole run of Black Panther. I remember you were the one reading that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this told me a lot of what I needed to know, which was really cool. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good jump start okay, if you were just behind. <laughs> yeah. And it also deals heavily with their relationship with the Shi'ar, which was really cool. And basically, it's a starring vehicle for M'Baku, just being an awesome badass, a real leader, you know, making the hard decisions, fighting you know, for right and all this stuff. And they really emphasize, emphasize that he came from the lower class of the empire and how he's now like one of the leaders and how he doesn't, he feels the need to defend his, his country quote. 
but not the people that ran it, you know? And I thought that was really kind of cool. And it does, like I said, tie over with several characters. It also gives us the first scene we've had in a while of Storm and Black Panther being kind of cuddly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. Uh, we also got some stuff with Manifold, uh, with him and Shuri, where he basically asked her out. Mm-hmm. So that was great. I love me some Eden. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was a really good book. And it's our first Last Annihilation story where it ended optimistically. And the story's almost over. So I think that's, you know, I think we're we're turning the turning the, the corner now because uh, they basically, you know, do what they need to do, which is so funny because we've talked about it in every every big crossover Marvel's done since we started reviewing it. It seems like Wakanda gets everything under control before everybody else every time. And so it happens again. So, yeah. Um, what do you think? I, I like how, yeah, honestly, I like how a little contained it was. And yeah, in the end, it's just like, yeah, what kind of just fucking rules? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll probably get, they'll probably get, they'll, they'll get their homework done first and then maybe they'll help out uh, their peers. <laughs> if not, it's cool. They'll, they'll still be safe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did like the, I, I mean, I always like when they, um, when they fuck around with, with, with other empires, in this case, like with like the Shi'ar, I did like that Smasher. Uh, was calling back to the the Hickman Avengers run because like oh yeah no uh, who was it she was with Manifold yeah Man- Manifold and I used to roll together but and it was a great callback to like the whole like time runs out into Secret Wars that whole era, era of Avengers so uh, that for sure was gonna win me over and yeah Umbaku just like just showing up like the whole plan of just like reusing these satellites that were just like a big fucking no no he's like you're gonna fuck up the treaty it's like it'll work out if I get the shit right and sure enough it does and it's just really cool because that whole moon transforming into what it does and it's like that's kind of that's that was scary on itself and now to find a way around that like how would you stop that this is really it, it was it was a cool um solution yeah definitely um no and, i really really enjoyed it and, and then of course show up sword is like hey we've got this mysterium we've got this good shit right here <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, yeah, Sword. Sword's the good guys, right, guys? I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Um, yeah, really good tie-in. I really enjoyed it, so I'm excited to see where it goes. Hmm. Hopefully they'll do more with M'Baku in the end. So. Yeah. All right, and that leads us to our other shared non-X book, which is Eternals Thanos Rises. Written by Karen Gillan, drawn by Dustin Weaver, colored by Matthew Wilson, lettered by Clayton Cowles. Um, so I got the cover A, of course. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because I think I think uh, we've talked about in the past that Eternals is not something you really have too much insight to as far as histor- historically goes. Yeah. Um, but I think this does a really good job of setting up how is Thanos related to the Eternals? Because that's mm-hmm. something that's not really brought up very well. And I think in this book, they do a really good job of explaining his relation and I think it was told in a really cool way that was also really kind of retro, <laughs> fright- really frightening, though. Yeah. Like, really, like, almost like, like, um, like, um, I don't know what the word I would use. Twilight Zone, almost like, mm. where it's like, it's like a, a tale to, you know, this is what could happen to you kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, shit. So, yeah. What do you think? Uh, this is really cool. I, I I did love the the retro aesthetic to, with the art, especially in the beginning, like when they um 
when it shows like all the all the Eternals like like jumping into like the scene, like the, them flying into like the scene, mm-hmm. the way they position position it just it took me back to like just like old school comics. And then you turn the page, like this shot of Icarus was just like oh, yeah. a great shot. Um, but I yeah, it with Icarus and Sprite, where mm-hmm. Sprite's like, "What if we were on the opposite sides of the conflict? Wouldn't that be crazy?" And I'm like, "They're always on opposite sides of the conflict." <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I it was it was. It was I like that the book really gets like the actual true part of the book until like halfway into it. Where it's like, oh yeah, this is supposed to be like about Thanos, and but there's like a they have, but there has to be like a good setup to that. And I like that it bridged like okay, like this old tale, and then there was like a like a Thanos book like not that long ago, kind of like within like the last decade. I can't remember, but it's basically like almost like a retelling of his origin. And in that book, you get to see where like when his mom first lays eyes on baby born thanos she was crazy like she literally sees like the end of the world through his eyes because of she yeah. she gets like an epiphany of who thanos is gonna be and you get a glimpse of that and then like what kind of happens there and like the punishment after that because eternal shouldn't breed <laughs> it's like oh yeah. fuck <laughs> just oh. and, then, and then and then the, the, the last part punishment is fucking brutal the last part is like cool like, so we're gonna put you in this dark room and then oh by the way Every every soul everything that, that Thanos kills, it'll just be like a new blip of light, just so you can just so you can keep track, and then it just whitens out instantly. And it talks about how, like, thankfully for him, he's basically his eyes are blinded very quickly, so he doesn't have to suffer too much. You know, it's just like, it is Christ. a messed up last page. <laughs> it was brutal, like absolutely brutal. brutal. Yeah, I love this. I think I. If I read correctly, I think we're getting another Eternals one shot of some sort, too. So, oh, cool. Okay. So, I think they're doing a really good job of building up to the movie. Even though, th- I don't think they're going to address Thanos. Uh, right. I'm wondering how they're going to play that. Yeah. I don't think, I just don't think they're good. It's going to be part They're not going to tie him in? Okay. Yeah, uh, so. Before we go into the, the, the Xbox, it, it literally just hit me that um, on Reminder's Uncanny Avengers, mm-hmm. when he when he was messing around with, with King, which is actually a, a great, uh, that was a great arc, too. Like, it's like, to utilize King in a, in a cool way in that story arc. I just remember Cause you showed me like the him fighting and Sabanur King actually kidnaps apocalypse uh, uh, kids, the apocalypse twins. So I'm, I wonder, yeah. I, I wonder if that was kind of like a little reference towards that or like, cause like there would, there would butt heads or something. Uh, but I wonder if that was like kind of like somewhere in there. Maybe that's pretty cool though. <laughs> mm. All right, now we're going to go over into the X books. Now we're going to start with the Trial of Magneto number two. Ooh, okay. oh damn, okay. So Bro, I, I did not get that cover because I got the David Baldion cover. I saw that <laughs> one. And it's like oh, so pretty. But That's great po- though. I want that now. I know Polaris with the fucking helmet. Oh, so good. It's so, so great. Yeah. All right. So creative team written by Leah Williams. We love you, Leah. Uh, drawn by Lucas Werneck, colored by Edgar Delgado, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. So Wanda's dead. The Avengers are here to pick up her body, and the X Men turn into kind of like a social visit where let's show you around the island and you know, all this stuff. There's so much good shit in here that I can't talk about all of it. Uh, I will say, obviously, Xavier pushing boundaries as he's been doing. That was brutal. Um, the Avengers showing up. I love the part where the Avengers are being led over to the hatchery and no one's there to mask it. <laughs> and instead to block it, it's it's Emma and the Cuckoos all like sunbathing. And of course, no one sees anything else because they're there. My favorite part about that shot, though, is 
like the hundreds of mutants behind them just yeah almost like just in case something goes down you know what i mean (laughs) like like i just love that that's so cool um a lot more x factor fun which we absolutely love and then we get some more wanda stuff teasing of wanda she's something's (sighs) happening and this is absolutely beautiful yeah and man the whole flower thing just the, the these three circles just being like what is it really trying to tell here this has to be that has to mean way more than what it's trying to let on yeah um north star tries to comfort quicksilver uh and then magneto is woken up by hope for some unknown reason mm-hmm. and he attacks the avengers he basically admits that he killed wanda which we were kind of like i don't know i don't know about that that doesn't seem right and the X-Men and the Avengers basically fight Magneto together. And uh, Magneto grabs, of all people, Kyle, North Star's husband, who's coming home from work. And he's going to kill him. And I love that North Star doesn't hesitate. He's like, all right, fine. Well, they'll leave. Just let go of my husband, basically. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, he's in a, he's human. He's Krakoan. You know, it's just like, do you want to harm your own people? And I love the line. None of you want. None of you know what home means for Wanda. Yeah, you know. And I was like, "That's so interesting." She's like, "I murdered." He goes, "I murdered the Scarlet Witch." And then, in the biggest head trip of the week, Wanda just pops up. She's like, "No, I'm good. I'm actually right here." And then we get the shot of Mystique. Well, then this should be interesting. So that it's curious. We'll talk Very. about why in a moment. <laughs> so, and then she shows up and she kisses Vision. She's like, let's get things back to normal. Now, if you look at the reading order for the X-Men books, after Trial Magneto 2, it goes X-Corp 5, X-Men 3, The Onslaught Reserva- Revelation, Inferno. Mm-hmm. And that Mystique pop-in, I don't think she's going to be in X-Men 3 or X-Corp. So this might be her last appearance before Inferno. Will the Wanda thing lead directly into Inferno? Oh, man, I mean, both both events are going to happen at the same time, along with yeah, with the onslaught one and everything. So it's just kind of like it's uh, uh, a lot. I mean, it, this one was a lot. And like honestly, and then when when Magneto started going going off, it was like, yeah, I I did it. I thought of Troy in uh, <laughs> the lie detector. Uh, episode is like <laughs> I did it. I killed Pierce. That's a lie. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I kind of wanted that little moment here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, dude, I really, really dug it. Um, it's just like there, there's no like it, it. It is such a red herring. Like it is an oh, it's like I mean like red, should we red believe? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, Scarlet Witch. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, because yeah, I mean like is this Wanda? And like your first go to is like, oh, it's Mystique, but they they purposely show they you show Mystique. Us Mystique. Yeah, out of like out of nowhere. I mean, like, why now? You know, and then it's like, okay, cool. So I guess we'll we'll come back next week. But then she kisses like the the herring being her kissing vision. I mean, like, who is this? <laughs> Something's not right. Still, something's not right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's still off. And I'm curious to see how we're gonna find out. And what it ties into. Because again, Inferno starts before we get another issue of this. Yeah. So I don't think Onslaught's gonna overlap with Inferno. I don't think they're gonna do three event books at the same time that don't touch each other. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. 
I think this might tie on into, into yeah. Her. And it's like it's like way too soon to bring in um or to just like make because again like the whole kiss wouldn't make sense but the the children of, children of the atom mutant how she's kind of also a shapeshifter like yeah. to just use her to calm the situation down but again like the, she wouldn't go as far as kissing vision yeah yeah exactly so I think it's Wanda because we've been getting the whole thing with her coming back that's been yeah. the whole thing they, so, they, from and point of view the X Factor scene they couldn't really find her in the pod remember how like yeah. she cocooned up yeah so. We'll see. Um, what if she's reborn as a mutant again? I mean, that's that's, that's really what I've been hoping for. Uh, that's that's what I want. And then will Pietro want to die so he'll be immune? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> so. We'll see. Uh, that'd be actually a really cool motive if it was Magneto. Is he wants her to be accepted as a mutant? Right. If you die and reborn, and that's why he pushed so hard for her to be reborn mm-hmm. to be reborn as a mutant, maybe her genetics were actually mutant and were changed later. Like there's some, you know, something they can do with that. So, um, but I'm so curious to see how this resolves itself. So, yeah. All right. And then Marauders number 24, um, less eventful than the other book, but I just, I can't put Marauders not last. So I get you <laughs> uh, written by Gary Dugan, drawn by Phil Noto, letter by Cory Petit. Um, so Phil Noto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, having Phil Noto back in X Men, that's cool because mm-hmm. uh, Cable, Cable. Did a great job with Cable. Like a book that actually very much surprised me how much we liked it. So yeah. Um, so this story is another fun Marauder story that doesn't seem to have a lot of weight in the overarching narrative. Yeah, but I think will be a lot of fun. Basically, Emma wronged a space pirate, as she is wont to do, and so she stole his ship. He shows up on Mars, on Erico, I should say, and is just like, hey, fuck you. I need to talk to Emma. Uh, Emma and Kitty show up. Shaw's there, which was cool. Yeah. And basically is like, dude's like, you stole my ship. She's like, yep. <laughs> I did. And she's like, it's a telepathic ship. Why wouldn't I steal the ship, basically? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, also, you tried to betray me. And he's like, I don't remember that. She's like, yeah, you don't remember anything because I've raced your memory, basically. And, um, he takes a shot at her and she's crystal. So it just bounces. And then he, um, shoots kitty and it goes straight through her. And it's like, ha bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And then they fight. And, um, he actually like finds a way to get kitty because she has to breathe. And then, uh, he throws a bomb that's going to blow up and destroy everything. And Sebastian Shaw. Yep. Saves the day. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's playing a game. He's got to be. So, uh, but basically, she's like, "Hey, let's just they the basically let's just pay this dude. How much you want for your ship?" Basically. So, and then we get an appearance of everybody's favorite mutant, Peeper. <laughs> Everybody Peeper. loves him. It's so good. Emma Frost kisses Peeper on the cheek. <laughs> That's how fucking much charisma this man has. Just raw oozing charisma coming out of Peeper. <laughs> like, she's like, how good it is to see you? And she's like, we must catch up. She basically asks him out to dinner. It's Peeper. <laughs> like, I love it so much. I want this to be a joke forever that everybody <laughs> loves Peeper. Except for Fabian Cortez, because he's... Right. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically they're like, oh, I bought your ship. Everything's good. And the guy betrays them, takes the money, takes the ship, vents them into space, and they all 
die. Yeah. Then we cut downstairs where someone's about to burn down the new X-Men base. And a mutant teleports in and stops him. And who is it? Yep. It's Laura Chantel. Yes. Who we know from Sebastian Shaw's story mm-hmm. one or two issues ago. Yeah. And so she is coming back, which is really cool. And that was a really cool reveal. I liked that. I did, I did, I, I had forgotten about her. I thought that would just be like a one-shot thing. Right. Where it would basically remind him, you're never going to see her again. And that's it. Mm-hmm. But then they brought her in. That was really cool. And then now the all, all the Marauders have to be resed, which is very funny because Sebastian saved them and his excuse was so that they all wouldn't have to be resed. That would look be embarrassing. And then they all die. <laughs> That's so true. Not just the three of them. Like everybody, Bishop and everybody dies instead. That is so true. So, yeah. And then they lose the ship. So I'm curious to see where she ties into this story. I know. I mean, she, I mean, of all places, it could have been like a Krakoa thing, but it would have made sense of like this like bigot just being there. But she's specifically showing up to the treehouse, like it's, it's for the X Men, the X Men house, you know. Yeah. So I was like, I'm curious. I'm curious what she wants to talk about them for. Yeah, we'll see. So, and she remembers her name. Mm-hmm. Didn't Emma erase her memory and give her a new identity, or did she just? No, I don't think she erased her memory. Actually, no, not to her. I think she just said like, you just have to lay quiet if you don't get found. Because she gave her a new identity. Yeah. I just, I, for some reason, I thought she erased her memory, but I guess not. So, um, but yeah, pretty good week of comics. Anything, any other things you want to bring up this way? Um, no, it's, it's just, it was, a, it was a solid week, a light one, but it was a solid one. Yeah, definitely. Um, so keep an eye out for our interview with Stephanie Phillips. Yes. Not sure when that's going up. Um, our good editor and, uh, chief of all things geek elite, Mitch is going to be the one making that decision. So, uh, that'll come up when it comes up. Uh, and keep an eye out for our other show, Jukebox Vertigo, of course. Our new episode's going to be coming up where me, Josue, and Steven discuss what is emo. <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty great conversation, actually. Yeah. Uh, like, I think the whole episode could have just been us having the discussion not even doing the, the actual Jukebox. Yeah, it was a good one uh, for the when we started rolling into it. Yeah, so. Uh, other than that, uh, as far as what I've been reading, I've been reading, of course... Shadow and Bone, the first book in the Shadow and Bone series. Uh, it reads a lot easier than the um, the Crows one because I think it's meant for a slightly younger audience. Mm. Um, and it's all written from first point of view, or first person point of view, where the other one is all POV chapters for different characters. Okay. This one's just from her perspective, period. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going through it pretty quick. Um, and yeah, other than that, I've just been, um, you know, reading comics. I haven't really read anything else. Oh, except for. Again, check the DC Webtoons book or comic. It's very good. It's literally about the Bat family. And like the Barbara Gordon episode is um, her having lunch with her dad who doesn't know she's Oracle. And he's like, how was your day? And she has to basically make up a day while ignoring the fact she did all the superhero stuff. And there's a really funny moment where uh, Spoiler and Tim go to the wrong bank that's being robbed and she has to correct them. And then later on, Jim Gordon's like, you hear about those uh, vigilantes that stopped that bank robbery? And she's like, yeah, thank God they showed up. And she's like, barely. And like, and he's like, well, she's like, nothing, basically. Like, And so it is really cute and fun. And then also get Marvel Unlimited, guys, because there's a bunch of digital comics on Marvel Unlimited right now that are in the style of Webtoons. I've been reading them. And it's worth the price of admission to read It's Jeff the Landshark. It's fantastic. <laughs> like... There's actually a shot in it that's a uh, someone used to recreate the cover of Nevermind by Nirvana. 
Oh, oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's in the comic. It's really <laughs> basically the story is that all the superheroes are swimming, and he decides to jump in, and he's swimming around, and his shark fin sticking out, so they all get scared and jump out of the water. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that kind of story. Story, so it's great. So, well, yes, thank you so much for joining us on We Have Issues. So, our quick plugs. For our network, Geek Elite Media, you can find it at Geek Elite Media on Twitter or at geekeletemedia.com. You can find this show, We Have Issues, at WHI Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at WHI Podcast Keith and our producer Liz at WHI Podcast Liz. You can find Josue at Josue Reads Josue. You can find our other show we mentioned, Jukebox Vertigo, at Jukebox Vertigo. And you can find Josue on Twitch because Josue is playing a lot of games. He's playing Golf Story at the moment. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. He plays a little late. So if you're late or night owl like me, pop on and uh, watch him play a bit. That's at Josue Plays Josue on Twitch. So, uh, But thank you so much for joining us on everything that we do. We always appreciate the audience. And don't forget to always geek out. This concludes our broadcast. 